Georgia trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move by in here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Lead pass to Tim Hill, So for me, man, listen, um, I know what I wanted to do or show on the Knicks. I think you were the main guy to come on because you're, you're an avid Knicks fan. You're an avid supporter. You you bleed orange and blue. Uh, I assume for 20, 25 years you've been a, a Knicks fan. For me, I became a Knicks fan when they got Sprewell in 99. So let's say, yeah, 20 years for me. Um most of that time has not been playoff time for, for, for me. For you, you were a, uh, a fan in, in, in the big time golden era uh, of the Knicks. Um, at that time, I was a big Chicago Bull fan uh, with Michael and Scotty and Phil Jackson. So for me, I never, I never liked the Knicks. And now, you know, being older, I tend to maybe feel like I didn't appreciate that 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 roster um, during during the '90s as much as I should have been from New York and being a New York native. Um, but for you, man, when did you become a Knicks fan? How did you become a Knicks fan? And like, what game do you recall seeing on TV first? And what was your first game at the Garden? Okay, those are all great questions, Randy, and you're doing a big-time <laughs> show, so I, great questions is something you should do. And first of all, I want to say thank you for having me. All good. I really appreciate it. I, I really enjoy your show. Thank you. Uh, I think one of my favorites, one was, favorite ones was about the Blazers team in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s uh, Blazers team. I really yeah. enjoyed that episode. And thank one you. of the main reasons I enjoyed that episode uh, was because – in 1999, I, and I'll answer your questions in a sec, mm. I predicted a Knicks-Blazers finals that year, and the Knicks lost to the Pacers in the conference finals, and the Blazers lost to the Lakers, so we were a few games away mm. of actually getting that Knicks-Blazers finals, and I'm sure we'll get into this later in the show. Right. The Knicks beat the Blazers both times they played them that year. So, anyway, but to answer your questions, again, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. You're doing great, great work. Thank you. So, how I became a Knicks fan is a, obviously a question I get all the time, and I, I, and I and the answer is always usually the same. And most people, I would think, when they become a diehard sports fan of a certain team, it's from somebody, their mom, their dad, their uncle, cousin, brother, best friend, older guy down the street. So my first four loves, in no random order, mm-hmm. were the Yankees, the Giants, the Rangers, and St. John's basketball. Mm. I knew I liked the Knicks. I knew who this is about. This is about 1991, 90. Granted, I was six, seven years old. But I remember the Rangers then. I remember the Giants with Phil Simms and Lawrence Taylor and Harry Carson a little bit. I remember those Yankee squads. I remember St. John's and Malik Seeley. My uncle actually used to deliver 
uh, their programs in the late 80s, early 90s, and I used to go with them to um, what it was called Alumni Hall. So, And I knew I liked the Knicks, but, you know, I'd never been to a game. I had gone to a Rangers game already. I grew up in the Bronx until I was eight, so mm-hmm. I had been to many Yankee games. So I knew I liked the Knicks. Anyway, now I moved upstate in fourth grade to the Catskills, moved up there. Again, it was those first four loves. This is the start of the 92-93 season. Now, you mentioned you were a diehard Bulls fan. Yeah. Around that time, everybody loved the Bulls. Exactly. Um, Shaq was a rookie. A lot of people were gravitating towards Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, people liked the Sonics. Yeah. And, you know, there were some Nick fans. I was in upstate New York, so I was in New York. And then the start of that season, uh, I don't remember it. It was 1992. But where I became obsessed was two different parts uh all-star game 1993 was in utah and patrick ewan was in it mm-hmm. and i was like god i love this guy <laughs> and then uh i maybe watched a, a nick game or two the rest of that season but then when the playoffs started in 1993 first round versus the pacers john starks headbutts reggie uh i became obsessed and mm-hmm. randy you've known me for a long time yeah. a lot of people have known me longer my Nick fandom is not that normal. It's it's a little crazy. <laughs> and it just took over my life that spring of mm-hmm. 1993. Obviously, got my heart broken. You know, the, the Knicks won games Knicks won games 1 and 2 and versus the Bulls in that con- in that conference final. Everybody knows what happened with Charles Smith in game 5. Um and that spring it just took over my life. It took over my body. Um, I made sure I went to my first Nick game the next year. Obviously, I was you know nine years old, so I didn't have a lot of say in it. And then to answer your next question, so the first game I remember was the first round of the Knicks Pacers in 1993, um, the 93 playoffs. And then my first game I went to was April 2nd, 1994. I can see the ticket right now in my living room on my shelf. <laughs> next to Alan Hahn's book, 100 Things Knicks Fans Know No One Do Before They Die, mm-hmm. as well as a 40 of Old E from 2000. Um, have some cool stuff there. So the first game was April 2nd, 1994. I heard I was going to the game around around Christmas. Every day in fifth grade, uh, my teacher, Mrs. Carson, would say, uh, does anybody have anything they'd like to share? And I would always share the Knicks news of the day. And I also had my own personal countdown to my first. Knicks game. Now, I wish I had a picture of myself at the game. I do not. I went with my uncle. I remember what I wore. I wore white champion shorts that I got from a champion outlet mm-hmm. in Norwich, New York. York Ewing jersey with uh, the classic New York Knicks snapback hat. Don't remember the brand. I want to, It was either Starter or probably Logo Athletics with the hat. Uh-huh. Uh, the Knicks beat the Heat by a big margin. I'd say 20 points. It was Randy. I had been to the Garden before twice. One Rangers game, one uh, circus, Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. Mm-hmm. I had never when I I remember the first time I saw the court. And we walked. We got there early before the doors opened. But we walked right up to our seats, and we were sitting in section four sixteen row F. The first time I saw that court, man, I I never saw anything like it. It was mm-hmm. it was the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. I mean, it was amazing. And just being there and then remember like we got there early, Charles Oakley was out there shooting, um, Derek Harper was out there shooting, and then obviously eventually the teams came out for warm ups. And what kinda sucked though is that John Starks didn't play 
either did Charles Smith. They were both out with injuries. Starks ended up coming back for the playoffs, obviously, mm-hmm. in 94. So the, the starting lineup that game actually was Derek Harper at the point guard position, Hubert Davis at the two, uh, Mason at the three, Oakley at the four, and Ewan at the five. And I never forget hearing Mike, even though I heard Mike Wyshevsky's voice a little bit on the TV, you know, to hear his voice in person. And obviously the name that sticks out the most is the way he used to say Derek Harper. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, I'd say his most popular names are, you know, Derek Harper, Patrick Ewing, probably Stephon Marbury, the way he said Marbury, the way he said Carmelo Anthony, and probably Latrell Sprewell. He, I mean, obviously Mike Wyshevsky, the exception of maybe Bob Shepard, the longtime voice of the Yankees. I mean, he, he might have the some of the best pipes you will ever hear. Mm-hmm. And that, that game, Randy actually was the Knicks 16th straight victory um the buzz was at all-time high people were thinking championship or bust and also um a cool story about that game I'll get to you was that I I always knew the Knicks had a white guy but I didn't know his name so I remember (laughs) that in that game the Knicks were up by 20 25 points with you know like five six minutes left Uh and the whole crowd starts chanting we want Eric I turned to my uncle. I said, who's Eric? He's like, Eric Anderson, the white guy. I'm like, oh, that's funny. Wow. So with about two minutes left, Riley finally puts him in. Yo, 19,763 all rose as one. And now a funny story about that. I had a chance to chat with Greg Anthony about this one time. So there, and you know, you know, you know how it is in basketball. If you're up by a lot of points and the shot clock is off, you, you don't take a shot. Well, anyway, there's about two minutes left. The Knicks had a couple possessions. They're trying to get Eric the ball. I'm not sure if he, I'm sure he touched the ball. I'm not sure if he got up a shot. Last play of the game, Knicks are up 20-something points. Greg Anthony brings the ball up the court and gives it to Eric Anderson. My man shoots a three and nails it. Yo, wow. the garden went crazy. <laughs> and, you know, Eric Anderson, as you know, and you might not know, actually passed away about seven, eight months ago. Mm-hmm. So I was so happy I was at that moment to see and. That was and to be at that game, sixteen straight. It was. It's still to this day, right? Their longest winning streak, I think, in franchise history. Mm-hmm. We experienced the thirteen game winning streak to close out the 2012-2013 season. So, mm. so to be at a game, my first, my first Nick game, their sixteen straight win. See a we want Eric chant, Eric Anderson shoot a three. It was a cool moment. So that was you know my first Nick game I was ever at and. You know, to answer your first few questions, and uh, it's a, it's a day. It's not my favorite Nick game I've been to. I'm sure we'll get into that, but it was a day that I, I honestly think about almost every day. I, I had White Castle that day for lunch, and before the the game actually, you know, what's cool, funny about that game too on the ticket stuff, and I, and I, the game actually started at eight thirty that night. Mm-hmm. How I mean, you not counting the playoffs, you'd never see an eight thirty start anymore nah, for a never. regular season game. No, never. Seven seven thirty seven forty. Never yeah. regular season. Yeah, seven thirty seven forty five maybe, yep. but not no eight thirty. And the no. tickets at eight thirty, so that means you figure the tip off was eight forty eight forty five. Yeah. Um. Okay, so you you unpacked a whole lot right there. So let me. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's why you got <laughs> me, me on, to, right? <laughs> let, me try, let me try to rewind a little bit. Okay, so you became a fan in the ninety two ninety three season, right? Yes, sir. Okay. So prior to that, uh, the Knicks had two great point guards, Ross Strickland and Mark Jackson. Um, and we've we've heard a couple of rap songs, you know, talk about Strickland and how they were a fan of the Knicks. And once they traded Strickland, 
they stopped being a fan like like nature and so and those guys nature, that was a nature line that was nature line right i was a nick fan so they had strict land and they traded them yep ever since then some i hated them um but from the Knicks standpoint from a fan standpoint thinking back at it which trade do you feel like kind of hurt them the, uh, the most trading mark jackson or trading Ross Strickland? Well, Rod Strickland, obviously I wasn't a fan yet, but I know the history they traded Rod for Maurice Cheeks. I think what hurt them more, and obviously as a fan, I ended up hating Mark Jackson because to me, he's a pacer, but Mm, obviously the Mark Jackson trade. And listen, I love Charles Smith as a person. Um, I'm sure you've had a chance to work with him, chat with him. He is one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet, and I'm sure you've, you've chatted with Charles before. Right. But if you don't make that deal, and obviously, Doc Rivers ends up getting hurt. But if you just end up having keeping Mark Jackson, now obviously you got Derek Harper a year later, and Hart played defense that Mark didn't. But man, if you just kept Mark Jackson with Anthony Mason and Oakley, I had to think they're a much better team, and they were a great team. I just and I think, but I guess Derek Harper was a better defender. You could, I, I, I but I would think I would, would rather have kept Mark because, but then again. We only saw Rod for a year as a Nick. You know what I'm saying? He, Rod was only a Nick for a year. Mark was a Nick for five years. But I would have to think moving forward, I think Mark would have been better for the team. Because that team was so good defensively anyway. So it's not like the, Derek Harper was the only defender. Everybody played defense on that squad. So could so could, even though Derek Harper did spread the ball around, but could you imagine like Mark Jackson setting up John Starks for wide open threes and better right. shots and getting you in more touches, just mm-hmm. better touches in his better spot. So I think it would have been better and more beneficial to probably go with Mark Jackson. But you know, obviously, if you kept Mark Jackson, I highly doubt you would have traded for Derek Harper. So for those who don't know, the Knicks traded Ma- Ross Strickland in, in 1990 to San Antonio to get Mo Cheeks back. Uh, a ten yep. year, ten year age difference, so they they got they got a veteran for for a young guy. You go to ninety two, they trade Mark Jackson to the Clippers, and they get Bo Kimball, Charles Smith, and Doc Rivers. Uh, for those who also don't know, the Clippers got Mark Jackson and a nineteen ninety five second round pick, which I forgot who that was. Um, the Orlando Magic got the ninety three and ninety four first round pick from the Clippers and the Knicks. So. I mean, again, when you, when, you, when you look back at it, it's like, all right, you trade Mark Jackson and that's who you got back or that's all you got back. But Well, Doc- Charles Smith was a stud at the time, yeah. man. He was, a, he was ahead of his time. He was a 6'10 small forward that could kind of do it all. You know what I'm saying? Like You didn't mm. see a lot of 6'10 guys at the three in, in the early 90s. Right. I mean, yeah, and, and you get a good backup point guard in Doc Rivers. So, again, those two guys played an, an integral part in the – uh, 93, 94 run, maybe 95. I'm not too sure, but 90, least- yeah, they absolutely did. You know, and I, like I said, if you kept Mark Jackson, you probably don't get Derek Harper. Okay, so the Derek Harper deal, I don't have it in front of me. So, how it was they- Derek Tony Campbell for Derek Harper. Maybe there was another guy involved too, but Tony Campbell was the main player for Derek Harper. Tony Campbell, <laughs> oh man. Um, okay, now you we're, we're mentioning Charles Smith and you mentioned. Uh, Hubert Davis a, uh, a while ago. Now we get to 93. This is the year that you be, you become a big-time fan. Now they get Chicago uh, in the conference finals. Now they go up 2-0. You get Starks to dunk on, I still think it's Horace Grant, bro. It's, it, Michael was in the it, he was in the area, 
But I think Starks racked it on Horace Grant. I don't think he racked it on Jordan. <laughs> I mean, you know, I always tell my friends he dunked on Jordan, but I'm very aware <laughs> that Mike. Listen, I'll admit it. What is it? 27, 26 years later, I'll admit it. Like Michael was not. You know, he didn't really dunk on Michael, but you mm. know, I gotta. I got to say he dunked on Michael, but at the end of the day, though, and if you know me and you know me well, and obviously John Starks is my hero. Like mm-hmm. Pat was my favorite, but Starks was my hero. I know I, I shot a lot of threes. I yelled at myself. I pounded my chest mm-hmm. when I played. The thing is, is that I don't celebrate the dunk. Some Nick fans do. I do not. It was a wonderful play. But after that dunk, Michael Jordan made the Knicks his bitch for the next four <laughs> games straight. And if you remember, I think yeah. around that time, I don't think Mike was talking to the media because they were saying he was going to like gamble in Atlantic City or something. Mm-hmm. So after that dunk, Michael Jordan absolutely dominated the Knicks the next four games. So granted, I did have the dunk poster in my room growing up. I wish I still had it. I don't anymore. You know, I, some stuff I don't have from my childhood. and still have all my jerseys, by the way, thank God. Um, but... I don't celebrate the dunk. I love John Starks. I do not celebrate the dunk because, like I said, if they would have won that series, I would. But I don't celebrate the dunk because Michael Jordan made us his bitch the next four games. Listen, man, I think outside of a Michael Jordan poster, outside of a Sean Kemp poster, that John Starks poster was probably the most popular poster it was, and I wish I still had it, though. But you know what poster I still do have, Randy, that I actually am looking at it now. I need to get it in a frame. <laughs> it's a poster from the 96-97 season uh-huh. with the World Trade Center in the background. And it's got Alan Houston, Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, and John Starks. Wow. This poster is beautiful. Wow. Yeah, um, it's the beauty. So, still, you're up to zip. The dunk happens. Michael Jordan goes on a tear. He gets 54, I think, in game four. You come back to the garden. You get game five. Now, I, I need you to hold your bias to the side. And when Charles Smith is going up all those times for the layup, whether to, 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 to tie the game or to go up, and he got block after block after block. To this day, do you feel like Charles Smith ever got fouled or you think that every single swipe was clean? I mean, I think he definitely got fouled. But I, I just don't think – I mean, I guess the Knicks – I don't guess. I mean, the Knicks were the home team, so you would think they would get that call. But in the, such a tight game, in game five, conference finals, the refs were definitely swallowing the whistle. I mean, in, oh, such a such a horrible moment, man. I mean, to get blocked four times, not even three, not even two, four times. Mm-hmm. I just – when it was happening, you know, I was so young too. So, like, I, even, at, even at nine years old – I just couldn't believe it. And it's, well, even at nine years old, when we lost that game five, I knew we had no chance in game six. I, I watched it and I rooted, but I knew we had no chance in game six. And obviously we lost game six. Yeah. Um, listen, man, I, I go back and every time they, they put it on NBA TV and whatnot, I just try to analyze it like, you know, maybe. My thing is, this, even if you get fouled, the referees are not going to call it at that point in the game. So. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Exactly. It, it, it's just not going to happen. Whether you're in, you're in Chicago, you're in New York, it just wasn't going to happen. And like you said, they, they lost, and um, they they eventually lost in Game 6, and Chicago went to win the championship. So um, you come back a year later, you're revamped. It's 94 now. Jordan is out the league. And your path to the finals, you know, gets tricky, I think, in the conference finals. I don't recall no, – Matter of fact, conference semis, you get Chicago. I think you had, what, New Jersey round one, right? 
Yes, we won that series in four games. Okay, so now three you- to one. That's back when the first round was best of five. Right. Just to let the young listeners know. And you know what, man? I think. I know the NBA wants to make make a lot of money now, and 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 the, and the, the cable companies and whatnot. But I think it'll be smarter if they went back to that to that route of the first round being five games, and after that we go to seven. But to have every single series to a game seven, I don't know. Maybe it's more basketball for us. But I think when they move, when they went from game five to a game seven, that's like you know what that, that that's a lot for a first round though. Yeah, I mean, that's what we were used to, you know, as kids, right? From, yeah. you know, we're both similar ages, Randy. So, you know, from 1992, 93 to 2002 was best of five. You know, that's all we knew. And it was cool. So, like, let's say you were the number one or two seed and you lost game one or two. Mm-hmm. You was like, oh, shit. Like, we really got to get this game two now. And now it's not a big deal. It wasn't what, like when the Raptors lost game one to... Orlando this year like ain't nobody was worried about that but if it was a best of five series yeah I mean obviously the Raptors still would have won but if it was best of five it would have been like oh no like we we, mm. we you know then everything changes but best of seven ain't nobody was worried about you know or this Orlando magic with Aaron Gordon and whoever else is on that team beating the Raptors who yeah. won the championship so I agree with you I would love to see the first round go back to a best of five so now we're at 94 no Jordan. The Knicks are pretty much a clear favorite to get to the finals. You're now in the conference semis against uh, Chicago. You remember who the number one seed in the play? The Knicks were not the number one seed in the playoffs, though. Do you know who was? I'm gonna. I don't have it in front of me, so I'm not cheating. That's fine. I'm not. No one. No one. No one no uh, expecting you to remember things like me. Uh, number one seed. Was it like Atlanta or something like that? Atlanta. It was Atlanta. Yep. Atlanta Hawks. Wow. <laughs> yep. Atlanta Hawks are the number. They had it. You know, Mookie Blaylock and Dominique. They had it. Oh, that's right. Little, it was still oh, there. Stacey Augman they had. Yeah, they were the number one seed in the playoffs. Wow. They ended up losing in the second round to the Pacers, who eventually met the Knicks in the conference finals. The Atlanta Hawks with number one, 94. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so we get to game five, man. Kevin Willis. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Willis is up there. Listen, man. You know, some I played till he was like forty-five years old. <laughs> I was a big bull fan. So now, when this when this play happens again, keep your bias to the I side. I know exactly what you're about to bring up. Listen, man. <laughs> and you know what? I I keep my bias to the side too. But honestly, man, this Scottie Pippen foul Hubert Davis or was it? No, like, no, okay. he didn't foul Hubert Davis. That, right. He did not foul Hubert Davis. That was a phantom foul, and that that was the. I mean, that's the name of that call: the phantom foul. Mm-hmm. Um, Hugh Hollins was the referee. Everybody knows that. Um, it was one of those calls, you know, in New York sports. We got lucky kind of like two years later with Derek Jeter and um, Jeffrey Mayer and Rich Garcia was the umpire in right field. Uh, you know, Yankees didn't win the World Series, though. The Knicks did not win the championship. But no, Scotty Pippen did not foul Hubert Davis. And, mm-hmm. you know, if they don't call that, Knicks, the Knicks lose game five. And I'm not – unlike – okay, so the Knicks lost game five in 93 with Jordan, yeah. and I knew going back to Chicago the Knicks had no chance. I think had the Knicks lost game five at the Garden, I do think the Knicks go back to Chicago and grab a win and then went, still win the series in seven. I do believe that. But but there's a chance – you know, if they don't call that, maybe the Bulls win that series in six. Yeah. And I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, man, and I hate to say I'm – Putting my bias aside now too, brother. Okay. I think the Bulls beat the Pacers in in, in that those finals, and 
you have the Bulls in the finals now without Michael Jordan. Now, I think the Rockets would have beat that Bulls team. Mm-hmm. But imagine history. This is basketball fans, and I'm taking my orange and blue colors off for a few seconds now. Okay, okay. What would they be? And obviously, you know, the Bulls won 55 games without Michael Jordan. You know, mm-hmm. starting backcourt was B.J. Armstrong, Pete Myers, yes, Scottie Pippen, you know, oh. Bill Wennington, Will Perdue. Mm. They still Horace Grant on that squad. Wow. What would history say, even if they lost, what would history say like, if, if the Bulls went to the finals without Michael Jordan? That would be very interesting because uh, the Bulls still had a good year. They won 55 games, and yeah. they were inches away from going to the conference finals. Had they got to the conference finals, I do think they beat that Pacer team. So I think it would be very interesting for history buffs like ourselves to say the Bulls got to the finals without Michael Jordan rather than games seven of the Eastern Conference semifinals. Yeah, because for me, man, I think – you know, Scottie Pippen without Michael. A lot of people tend to kind of overlook that year for Pippen. You know, he was an all-star MVP. He was getting 22-7 and seven without Michael, 55 Yeah, he games. was the MVP candidate for the season. I believe yeah. David Robinson won it that year. But Scottie had – I don't remember the voting, but I believe Scottie had to be up there and vote. No, right? 94, 94 was a larger one, I think. Oh, MVP? Was it Olajuwon 94? I think Olajuwon was 94. I think Robinson had it 95. Okay, okay, that's fair. So it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, either way, Pippen was up there for the the voting. And sometimes, you know, that year gets overlooked. Everybody was more like, you can't do it without Michael. But like you said, again, in retrospect, if Chicago wins game five and let's say they win the series, then they go on to, to play Indiana and they beat them. You could have had Houston and Chicago, the, the the almighty matchup that everybody would would have wanted to see with, with Jordan being there. And then let's say let's say they lose, you know. Right now we're still saying, hey, Scotty took Chicago to the finals without Jordan, but now you, you got to put more you know more respect on, on that guy's name. Right, exactly. So that's what I'm saying. If Hugh Hollins don't make that call, and the Knicks lose that series, you know, basketball history is looked upon different, even if the Bulls lose in the finals. Because like you said, like imagine just saying. The Bulls went to a final without Michael Jordan. Instead, they ended up losing in the conference semifinals. Mm-hmm. Still a successful year considering Jordan wasn't there. But, you know, that's just that's just how the cookie crumbled that year for them. So for you as a fan, you beat you beat Chicago, but did, in the back of your mind, you say, yeah, <coughs> we beat them, but, you know, if Michael was here, it would have felt um, a little, a little, a little so better. I, I So that I remember that night I was in fifth grade. Um, it was a Sunday. I was so excited. I really didn't think about I mean, obviously, I thought about it, mm-hmm. that Michael wasn't there. But years later, like, I don't really – I mean, obviously, a, a series win is a series win. True. But that – I don't really – like, so I, I got in a, a fun argument with the late, great, rest in peace, Anthony Mason on one of my shows. And I was like, Mace, because he was like, we finally beat the Bulls. And I was like, Mace, like, obviously, I love you, but, like, that doesn't count. He's like, what you mean it don't count? I'm like, <laughs> bro, it does. I mean, it counts as a series win, and you earned it, but you can't say you just can't. You just doesn't have the validity, man. Can't just say you beat the Bulls if Mike wasn't there. So years later, I was like, man, I can't really say we beat the Bulls, but at the time, I'm just like, oh, we're four more games away from getting to the finals. So I wasn't really tripping about if Mike was there or not. It was only years later, probably when Mike retired in 98, when I was like, man, we really... Because, you know, I was still hoping we get, we played the Bulls in the playoffs in 96, lost in five, 
We mm. never played them in 97, which I wanted to. So we never got a crack at them to beat them with Mike. And then when Mike retired in 98, I was like, man, we never really beat these dudes with, with Jordan. Yeah, I know. I, I've always had that in the back of my mind. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got one off, but it's cool though because when Michael came back in in ninety five and ninety six, uh, like you said, you played him in ninety six, did not in ninety eight, and oh, I'm sorry, did not in ninety seven, and did not in ninety eight. So, you know, it, it, listen, man, we see it today. You know, the Warriors can win a title, but then there's no Kyrie and there's no Kevin Love. But it's still a win is a win. But then you always say like, hey, what if they played? What if Michael was there? Oh, of course. Uh, you know? Of course, I agree. I mean, people forget, actually, like, about – you mentioned about Kyrie and Kevin Love. I feel like you're right. I think people forget that, you know, that year, that first year the Warriors won the championship in 2015, mm. not to re- off, get off topics, but, like, people forget that Kyrie and Kevin Love were out that, that whole series. Kyrie played in game one, yeah. got hurt in game one. Kevin Love didn't play at all. Right. <clears throat> so there's no – I don't think there's any way Cleveland loses that series without them. But, like you said – a championship's a championship. It's like for the Raptors this year. Mm. You know, Clay, you know, obviously Clay got hurt in game game six, but <clears throat> you know, Kevin Durant was out, but championship's a championship. So at this point, the Knicks play Chicago <clears throat> in the playoffs in 91, 92, 93, 94. At, at some point, you're probably like, I hate I hate Chicago. I hate Jordan. I hate Pippen. Did oh, you did you feel yeah, like, like how 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 much did you hate the Chicago Bulls? Uh, I hated them a lot, but I didn't hate them the most. And I'm sure we'll get into the teams I hated the most. But of course, I hated them. They were in my way. They were in my way of my dream. My dream was to win a championship. It's still mm-hmm. to win a championship. So I hated the Bulls and I hated Michael Jordan. Obviously, the difference between Michael Jordan and Reggie Miller, though, was that you you know Michael Jordan was the best of all time. Right. And Reggie Miller was just the jackass that made threes in the final minute. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like Michael Jordan, like you, if you know, if the Knicks weren't playing and the Bulls are on TV, you're going to watch. Like, I ain't watching no Pacer game to watch this guy, this jack wagon, jack up threes. But like Michael Jordan, as much as you hated him, you knew he was the greatest of all time. You knew he had swag. You knew his kicks were fly. You know what I'm saying? So um, it was, I'm not, I would never say it was easy to swallow, mm-hmm. but you knew he was the greatest. Reggie Miller, he was just a jackass jacking up threes. So now, okay, question Have you, have you ever met? Reggie Miller. Yes, I have. I and have. Have you, um, have you told yeah, him, hey, man, you were a jackass <laughs> jacking up threes? No. So I, I met him in 2010 <laughs> at the Knicks practice facility. I was up there doing work, you know, being professional as nice. I always am. And he was there and I said, what's up? But then after the day was over, mm-hmm. he was out. He was by the in the in the lobby at the practice facility in Greenberg. I know you've been there. You've done a lot of stuff there. Yeah. And I just went up to him. I introduced myself and I. And I said it in the most respectful way. I just want to say, like, you know, thank you for the fun and all that stuff. But I, I hate you. And he, he laughed. He laughed. He had a good laugh. I said it with a smile. You know what I'm saying? And we chatted for, like, 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's like, he gave me a contact. He's like, if you ever want me on your show, let me know. But I, I never reached out. I just, I, I don't think I could do it. I don't think, uh, you know, on, if man. I was working for a company that mm-hmm. said you have to interview Reggie Miller, I'd do it. I don't want to interview Reggie Miller. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to. Like I said, if I had to, of course. But I just. I don't want to interview Reggie Miller. I just I don't want to. I don't want to like him. I don't. You know what I'm saying? I and he was nice that day, but you know, I don't. I don't like how he. You know, he said things about John Starks. I just. I don't know. Just didn't. Uh, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I've had a chance to chop it up with Tim Hardaway a lot over the last few years mm-hmm. because you know Timmy Jr. was a Nick, so right. I had a lot of chance to chat with Tim. That was pretty cool. 
You know, I, I hated Tim Hardaway. I'll tell you what, nah, not as much as Reggie, not even close, but I hated Tim. I hated Tim a lot, but just, I don't know, I, I can't, I think I would say Reggie I hated the most of everybody, not even close to me. It was Reggie, then probably Alonzo Mourning, then, because I took Riley leaving, I took that hard, man. I took that hard. So I, the team I hated the most was the Heat, more than the Pacers, mm-hmm. more than the Bulls. The Celtics to me were never rivals because I became a fan in '93. Right. And the Knicks Celtics more had a rivalry a little bit in the late '80s and I guess like in the '60s and '70s. We weren't even born, so the team I hated the most was the Heat. To me, for me, it wasn't close. Listen, man, you gotta, you gotta, at some point in time, you gotta go back and really sit down with yourself and say, you know what? I could interview Reggie Miller. I could have a sit down. I don't care if it's 10, 15, 20 minutes. If you were to interview Reggie Miller, knowing how how big of a Nick time uh, Nick fan you are, and put that that animosity to the side. I mean, listen. You, th- you think you think that would get you think that would get a lot of listens? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> man, listen. <laughs> You're interviewing a Hall of Famer, a top fifty. No, I know, I, I know. I'm I'm kind of yeah. just messing around. I just never <laughs> followed up with it and. Who knows if he would have even responded to me. He gave me a card with his number, and um, I actually don't even have the card anymore, and I think the number's on my computer. But, yeah, I, I would. Just, I just didn't want to, you know? But <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not against it. I've interviewed many players that weren't a Knicks. Weren't mm. Knicks. Um, just, I, it would be fun to interview Reggie. I guess I, I guess it would. I guess maybe I should I, I could look into that this, this season. Mm. But... Regardless, Reggie tormented you guys in, in 94. Uh, game five, he had 25 in the fourth quarter. The choking that thing with crazy. Spike Lee. and it, it, it was, you know, at the time when, when there's no Chicago in the mix and you're, you're now seeing Reggie and the Pacers and the Knicks more often on TV, it's like you're building a new rivalry for everybody to watch. And the Knicks and the Indiana, New York started <coughs> back in 93 uh, when New York beat them. But now you get to 94. Uh, Indiana feels like they can have a chance to win it all. And Reggie is now in your way. He he just gets on fire out of nowhere. He's he's making 25-footers out of nowhere. Pat Riley don't know what to do. They win game five. Ultimately, you guys win in game seven. But I already know you hate this man or hated this man. But at that time, did you ever feel like, man, if we don't beat the Pacers in 94 in a year without Michael – then we can probably would never get to the finals, right? Um, yeah, of course. I mean, obviously, the next year we were an inch away from getting back to the conference finals, and I'll be honest, going into that Pacers series in '94, I, I, I thought we were going to beat them in five. Like we won, and especially the fact we won games one and two, and mm-hmm. we had to go to the Clan Rally in Indiana for games three and four. And I, I thought we were going to win that series in five. I figured Indiana gets one game. In New York, in Indiana, we come back winning five. Instead, Indiana wins both games in Indiana, and they win Game Five. Are you kidding me? Then we got to go back to Indiana for Game Six. That was one of the most nervous days of my life as a Knicks fan. That mm-hmm. day, just like I was so it was a Friday, I was so stressed at school. I'm in fifth grade, stressed out. <laughs> so I had a haircut after school that day. Uh-huh. Harry the barber in Walton, New York, and. Even though my I went by myself, I was in a small town, so I went to the barbershop by my by myself on my bicycle, and I got NYK shaved in the side of my head. The day of Game Six versus the Pacers in '94, and we won that game. John Starks had a huge game. Anyway, he said we won Game Seven, 
And game seven, we were down 10 points in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And we got to have a little comeback. We won game seven. We're going to the finals, you know, four games away from being champions. It's officially my second year being a Knicks fan. I'm like, yo, this is what it's about, man. Yeah. I'm going to see it. I, my second year being a Knicks fan, diehard, I'm about to see a championship. Mm-hmm. And you know what happened? OJ Simpson ruined that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, game game five, right? Game five, yeah. The, game five. Even though we won game five, but I still blame OJ. <laughs> uh, yeah, June 17th, 94. Um, so you guys beat Indiana. You're now in, in, the, in the NBA Finals. You get the Houston Rockets. Now, you know, I, I remember seeing that as a fan. Um, even though Chicago's in it, I'm still watching the the, 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 the finals and pretty even match. You get Olajuwon, MVP, you get Ewing and, and, and stuff like that. Get the game five, OJ stuff. You win game five. Now you go to this way. This is where it gets tricky because now you go to game six. Now you're on the verge of, of winning the championship first time since uh, 73. And John Starks goes cold, man. Uh, in I, game seven. He was hot in game six. Hot in game six. And cold in game seven, right? Very ice cold in game seven. Not even cold. Ice cold. Okay, so refresh my memory. Why or how did you guys not get it done in game six? Game six was a tight game throughout. Um, John Starks is on fire. And then, you know, it came down to the final play. We're down two, a couple seconds left. And the play Riley drew up was for Starks to come to the ball, mm-hmm. get the ball, and then Oakley, I believe Oakley sets the pick. And Ewing, if you watch the play closely, Ewing rolls to the basket. Starks apparently was supposed to hit Pat, get the layup, and tie the game. Starks is on fire. Oak sets the pick. Ewing rolls. Ewing's wide open. But Starks goes for the win. Now, Olajuwon knew, and Olajuwon had said this in interviews, Olajuwon knew Starks was on fire. So Hakeem said, Soon as Starks caught the ball, he knew he wasn't passing. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons Pat was wide open was because Hakeem said, I know this motherfucker taking the shot. He knew he was taking the shot. So Hakeem let Pat go to the basket. And Hakeem went out to Starks and blocked a three, mm. which forced game seven. Mm. Wow. I don't know, man. I, that that, that could have been it. That could have been it. I know. And then, like. I remember. I just going into Game Seven. Obviously, I was worried. And oh yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So see my hero play that bad. You know, over, over eleven from three, two for eighteen from overall. I only watched the game one more time after. It was about twelve, thirteen years later, and most of the shots Starks took that night were actually wide open, mm-hmm. uncontested. Most of them, and and John was known for forcing up shots. John didn't force up a lot of shots that night. Literally just nothing went in. And then finally, you know, Riley lost faith in Ronaldo Blackman. Blackman. Ronaldo Blackman. He lost faith in Hubert Davis. And and I kept saying, and I actually, I kept saying, put in Hubie. Put in Hubie. I like Hubert Davis. Mm -hmm. When I recall, he finally put in Hubert Davis with a few minutes left. And Hubie hit a three or two. Hubie hit a three or two. And was crazy too is that I think Alan Hahn, I believe, did an interview with Pat Riley, or Riley has said this in other interviews as well. Pat Riley's had a great career. He's won four or five championships with the Lakers, won a championship with the Heat in 2006 as a coach, 
obviously was the GM of the Heat in 20, um, 2012, 2013 for the championships. And Pat Riley has one regret, and that was not getting it done for the Knicks, getting the championship. Mm. Pat, that's Pat Riley's number one regret. And inside that number one regret, he said, was as much as he loved him, was leaving John Starks in too long in Game 7 of the 1994 NBA Finals. Hmm. And Starks went what? Two for what? 18, 17? Two for 18 total. I believe it was 0, 0 for 11, 0 for 12 for 3, and 2 for 18 overall. So he didn't, I know for a fact, he didn't even hit a 3 that game. Now, I'm pretty sure, you know, I, you know throughout events that, that, that have happened since then, you and him have, have kind of caught up and everything. Have you ever asked him, "Hey, John, listen, man, what what the fuck happened in Game Seven? Or just- so that, that that that's a good question. So I've had the opportunity to become very friendly with John. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the first player I ever interviewed back in two thousand five. Um, maybe this is just like bad journalism by me or bad. I've never asked him, and I've interviewed wow. John twenty times. Never asked him. Because about you're, that game. You're, I've asked him about everything else. I've never asked about that game. I've asked about losing the finals, but I, I've never brought that game to him because I just, I, he's my hero. I love the man. And I just, I, I, you know, and I ask good questions. You know, I think I've done a good job the last 15 mm. years putting out content, but I just, I have not asked John Starks about that game. Because you don't want to. Open that up. Are you afraid? You're nervous. You're much oh, more I'm like- not afraid. No, I've I've known John personally now mm-hmm. fifteen, literally fifteen years. Um, yeah, I'm not afraid at all. I mean, I could no, just uh, I don't know. I've always felt like my relationships with these guys are very important, and I feel none of these guys have had to do. And I've, I'll ask these guys tough questions. Don't right. get me wrong. Like you know, I just I don't know. Just never wanted to ask them. Okay, so you, you have you have two things to do. Interview Reggie and ask John Starks what happened. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Well, here's the thing. I know the answer that what John's going to say. I would like to interview Reggie. That would actually be fun. I haven't really thought about it since like a week after I met him, but that would actually be kind of fun. Yeah. That would be, especially if he kind of like, and Reggie seems kind of a troll too, so I feel like if he embraces my Nick fandom, right. we, we can actually have some fun. True. True. Um. I mean, listen, man, I, I, I will be a little, um, I would think about it twice to ask Starks. It, it sometimes. Yeah, I don't care me, about, here's the thing. John wouldn't get mad at me. Right. I don't care about my relationship with Reggie Miller. <laughs> I care about my relationship with John Starks. Hey, I don't have a that's relationship what with Reggie Miller, nor do I want one. I don't care. Um, So now we get past 94. Houston wins in game seven. They're the champions. And... You know, you guys come back in 95. Speaking uh, of 94, let me ask you one thing. Have you ever watched the MSG special narrated by Gus Johnson called Spring of 94? I believe I have. I'm not going to say you I, would know. You shouldn't. There's no, no, you shouldn't know you have. Like, okay, it's, it's one of the greatest pieces of television I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. I, I cry at the end every time because I think one of the one of the lines, I think Al Troutwig said the great Al Troutwig mm-hmm. said. I believe the quote was, "If one million turned out for the Rangers parade, what would that what have what would what would have turned what have been the turnout for the city's game?" And when he says that, I, I I literally like I was crying like a baby. Two million, three million, it don't matter. Right, Everybody's exactly. out there. He was like, "If 
one million came out for the Rangers, what would the parade have been like for the Knicks? I think yo, that parade would be like two days. <laughs> <laughs> man, I can't even imagine. Like, I think I think I, I seriously, man, I think about no, we'll get to ninety five obviously in a mm. second, but I just I, I think about that. What would that be like, man? I can't yeah. even imagine what it would like to be like to win a championship. It's like and I don't need to be like the Golden State Warriors and get three in five years. I don't need to be just need one. like the Lakers and get five in the last just give me just one. Just give me one. I need one. Yep. I mean, I want to, but, like, I just need to experience that one. Mm. So before I wrap up with 94, you mentioned that when the game happened, you did not see the game until 13 years later. So let, let, Yeah, let's about that, yeah. So that's, that puts you at 2007. So when's the last time you've seen Game 7? That time. I never watched it again. So you haven't seen it in 12 years? No, no reason to. Okay. I know what happened. <laughs> if I if I if I listen, there's a few games that if I turn on NBA TV, I will not watch, and that's Game Six or Seven versus the Rockets. I will not watch Game Five versus the Pacers in '94. I will not watch Game One versus the Pacers in '95, um, and, and you know I will not watch Game Five versus the Spurs in '99. You know I will not watch. I I, I can't. Like, I'm a real-life version of Ben from Fever Pitch, just much cooler. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I, I can't... Like, I don't think you understand. Like, I can't handle this stuff. Like, I have nightmares of certain things that, like, happened or didn't happen or why, you know, this shot didn't go in. Like, I replay these moments. Like, I'm not joking. Like, I need help. Like, <laughs> yeah. I wake up some mornings and I'm having more morning coffee and, and th- I'll replay a regular season game from like March of 1998, and mad we didn't win. I'm not joking. Like I need help. Well, we're here to help you, man. This, this is this is this is this right now. This is therapy for you. This, this we, we're we're venting. We're venting right now, brother. We're venting. Yeah, because it's not <laughs> much. I love my Knicks. Unfortunately, it hasn't been a lot of joy. That's uh-huh. why we celebrate those those moments, like Allen shot, Larry shot, a few mm. others, because. You know, it's been a lifetime full of just sadness. So now, ninety-five is going to add on to it. Um, you get Indiana again, it's conference yep. semis. They Reggie does the eight points in eight point nine seconds, whatever it is. Game one, you, you pretty much the fans left the building thinking you had game one in the bag. So the, the fun, what's funny about that, and I, I didn't really know this until li- literally years and years later. Mm-hmm. So many, now I never leave a game early. Like we could be down 30 and I'm there to the end. Mm-hmm. That said, I don't know why so many people left early. It was still a playoff game. Granted, I know the Knicks was up, you know, seven, eight, nine points, a few minutes left. Right. But so many people, and I was talking to my, you know, you know, LG, one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. He was telling me, he was, I think, watching the game in his crib and some friends asked him to go chill. And he just turned the game off with two minutes left, three minutes left. And he, obviously there was no social media, cell phones, texting, all that shit back mm-hmm. then. He said he didn't find out the Knicks lost till a few hours later. And he was like, wait, What? So there's a lot of fans. What's funny about that moment, now, I obviously I saw it a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fans that didn't find out the Knicks lost diehard fans until hours later. Crazy. That's crazy. My, imagine that would never happen now. No, no. But no, like no. imagine thinking you got the dub 
uh, you know, game one of the playoffs because the Knicks were kicking their ass that game. Up mm. and, and that's one of the when you watch any documentary about that game, we were smoking them. Now, when people talk about, let me let me go here for a minute. All right, go ahead. When people talk about game five versus game one, and game one, excuse me, game one versus the Pacers in '95. Mm. People only talk about Reggie's eight points. Let me tell you, that meltdown the Knicks had was one of the biggest meltdowns in the history of sports. I'll tell you what happened every single play to end that game. Reggie hits the init. They're down six. Reggie Miller hits the initial three to cut the lead to three. Anthony Mason, may he rest in peace, inbounds the ball. Reggie pushes Greg Anthony. Then Anthony Mason throws it up. Reggie catches the ball. Reggie goes back to three-point line, hits a three. Now he ties the game. Now what's really, really fascinating after Reggie hits that three to tie the game is that the Knicks get fouled. Mm-hmm. The Knicks foul John Stark. Excuse me, the Knicks foul. The Pacers foul John Starks. Right. So now the game is tied. Reggie just hit the two threes. I'm like, all right, it's awful, but John Starks is going to the line. Two points. John goes to the line. He misses both free throws. Mm-hmm. When he misses both free throws, Reggie gets the rebound. And the Knicks foul Reggie. Um, then Crazy. Reggie goes back to the line. He makes two free throws. And then the Knicks come back down. Um, Greg Anthony falls. I mean, it, it's one of – so credit to Reggie for the eight points. Mm-hmm. I think Ewing has a miss a missed chip shot in, the, in that sequence too. Mm-hmm. It's one of the biggest meltdowns I've ever seen a basketball team have. So, yeah, everybody wants to praise Reggie Miller, I guess, he, as he deserves for those eight points in eight seconds. But the Knicks need to be the Knicks need to be praised for one of the freaking worst meltdowns in the history of the National <laughs> Basketball Association. <laughs> I, I, I think I, I think what I think it was. Yeah. After Reggie made the three mm-hmm. Starks got fouled. I think you maybe you and Mr. I got to rewatch. But that's basically how it went down. It was just, a, and then like you know, Greg Anthony fell. Remember that? You remember yeah. the last play of that game? Yeah, I know. The Knicks, the, the, Reggie Greg pushed Anthony him, whatever. Falls. Yeah. I mean, what a disaster. Yeah, and I think that was the year. You know, if I, if I'm not wrong, if not the year prior that they moved the three point line in. That was the first year of it. That was the first oh, okay. year. It was only um six seven uh three seasons like that. Yeah, it was um terrible. 97. Um, and 97-98, it went back to normal. Yeah. So it was the 94-95 season, 95-96, and 96-97. Yeah, so three years, the three-point line was shorter. Crazy. And then 97-98, when the Bulls beat the Jazz, in, those, in that series, the, the three-point line was back to the regular way, which it's been since. Yeah, man. Um, And then, and I don't know what happened in game two to game six. I don't know what happened. I know game seven. I mean, the Knicks, the Knicks won game two. Mm-hmm. The, they went back to Indiana. The Knicks lost games three and four. It was either game three or four in Indiana that Ewing had. I think it was game three. You can look it up. I don't, I'm, I don't have it in front of me. Uh-huh. But I'm pretty sure. I'm 99% sure. Ewing had one point in game three in Indiana. One point. That's it. That means he didn't even have a field goal. And I remember game four, some jackass in Indiana, some hillbilly had a sign that said, even I could score one point, freaking jackass. Knicks lose game four, come back to the garden for game five. Knicks are down one. 
five, six seconds left. Inbound to John Starks. John Starks gives it to Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing was battling the Achilles injury, so he was wearing a long-ass sock in that game. Hits the shot. The Knicks go up by one. Byron Scott for the Pacers misses a potential three to win the game and the series. They go back to Indiana for game six. The Knicks win game six in Indiana on a Friday night again a year later. And then game seven, which obviously, which I would imagine you're going to bring up next, is when, you know, game seven was a back and forth battle. Both teams scrapping, battling. And then obviously, you know, Knicks down two, five, six seconds left again. Inbound to Ewing. Finger roll. Some say he could have dunked it. Mm-hmm. I say he couldn't have because of the injury he was battling. But he kind of just flipped it up there. And that was a moment that that was a moment that felt like three hours. And when he got to the lane, I did think he was gonna dunk it. But even though he didn't dunk it, like I didn't expect a seven foot Hall of Famer to miss a chip shot like that. Sure enough, he goes up and um he missed it. Okay, before and I was watching the game at a friend's house. Yeah, his his name was on uh, Nicholas New, mm-hmm. and he missed the shot, and I just walked out, didn't say bye, just walked out, and I rode my bicycle home, and I was 11 years old, and the whole bicycle ride home, I was crying, like I couldn't believe what I just saw, and um, I didn't watch any highlights, I didn't watch Sports Center, um. I think I watched one game with the conference finals between the Pacers and the Magic. It was the game that Penny Hardaway had that game, that big shot, and then Rick Smith at the buzzer beater. That was the yeah, only game I watched. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I couldn't handle it, man. It just, it just. I did watch a little bit of the finals though. Orlando, Orlando, Houston. It was tough, but you know, it was um tough times, man. It was tough. It was tough, man, to see see Patrick Ewing miss that layup and mm-hmm. then just deal with more scrutiny. Then of course a few weeks, you know. I remember that the classic scene after Ewing missed the finger roll was Pat Riley, Riley. in the hallway mm-hmm. with his hands on the wall. And who would have thought that that would be the last time we would see Pat Riley in Madison Square Garden as the head coach of the New York Knicks? So I'm going to get to Pat in a, in a hot second. So going back to the point you made that Ewing scored one point. Um, so yeah, I believe that was in game three. That was game... <clears throat> Okay, game three, the Knicks scored 68 points, which was at that time the fewest points ever in the NBA game <coughs> since they since they put the shot clock in in play. So it was just a total crazy, terrible game for the Knicks in that game. 68 points, Ewing scores one point uh, with seven minutes to go in the game. I don't even know what he shot for. I don't know how many shots he took. Um, they lost by 20, and then they, then you get to Game 7. I, I remember being home for Game 7 and watching that. And, I again, people could say he could have dunked it. I'm not I, – I, I think he – I don't I think he jumped could've. a little it's too far. To say <clears> – Excuse me. I don't think he could have dunked it. I don't think he could have. Uh, me either. I think he jumped a little too, too far away to, to get that <laughs> elevation. Uh, Correct. I mean, and you know, at that time, oh man, dunk that shit. When you, when you really look at it, like mm, maybe now. I don't think Ewing had the legs for that. I, I'm not even sure if he jumped, jumped off the wrong foot. Yeah, I think he was too far to get the dunk. You know, yeah. he wasn't Giannis into the Kumpo. Like he wasn't. Dunking that. <laughs> um, 
Well, listen, man. When that happened, that that really closed the door. Like, at that point, did you feel like your that window of winning a chip was over? Did I feel the window was over? Yeah, the window of no, winning a championship. No, why? Nah, because at the end of the day, Patrick Ewing was still thirty-one, whatever years old. No, I didn't. And you were talking to the most optimistic Nick fan ever. So mm-hmm. no, I didn't think the window was over. We still, you know, I, th- I thought we still had Pat Riley. You know, I didn't know a few weeks later, a month later, he was going to be gone. But no, I didn't think the window was over at all. all and right. it wasn't, obviously, but I didn't, right. I, I didn't think it was. Well, Michael came back, so that kind of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, he came back. He, he came, came back. back in a big way. He came back. Oh, matter of fact, boom, 95 March, Jordan comes in. He gets double nickel. Five <laughs> games in. That's got to be on the list of like, yo, what the fuck, like, this guy just retired yeah, for you so, to have it. And again, um, he gets double nickel against you guys. Yeah, so here's the thing. Um, as I said earlier in the program, a lot of my friends growing up were Bulls fans. So going into that game, you know, Michael was playing well. Michael was, you know, four or five games in. Mm-hmm. He'd struggled against Indiana. If you remember, I think in his second game back was in Boston, I think. I think, I think so, think he yeah. had 27 in that game. Mm-hmm. And then um, Atlanta. he had a game in Atlanta where he won the game at the buzzer. Game winning, so yeah. Mike was playing well going into that game. So I was pumped about it because I was like, yo, we're going to beat these guys and he's going to have a good game. Sure enough, Mike scores 55 and he's literally making every shot. He's hitting threes. He's hitting fadeaways. He's getting to the basket. I mean, he is doing everything Mike does. But the Knicks control the game. But I said to myself, man, I'm going to go to school tomorrow and, you know, Michael Jordan's going to have 50, 60 points and we're going to get the dub. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, final play of the game, you know, the Knicks are up, you know, up by a point or two, up by a point. Michael Jordan has the ball. He gets triple teamed, finds Bill Wennington, and Bill Wennington gets the dunk. Are you kidding me? Bill Wennington. And then the, the final play on that. What was the final? Was that a – did Starks fall there? Maybe – Turnover at half Ewing court. The, the turnover uh, half – did Starks yeah. fall? I think he fell. He went backcourt, and you guys did, didn't even yeah, get a shot. Yeah, it was a mess, right? They yeah. didn't get a shot. Right. Right. Just like we're, and in, in game one versus the Pacers, Greg Anthony fell the final possession. Mm-hmm. Um. So – so what's funny about that is a few months later, I was going into seventh grade after that. I went to Golden Valley basketball camp. Mm-hmm. And my favorite all-time player that was not a Nick was Kenny Anderson. Nice. Kenny was supposed to speak at the camp. Turns out Kenny couldn't make it. So they tell the campers, you're still getting a speaker. It's going to be another NBA player. But they didn't say who it was. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, whatever. It's cool. They tell the campers to be in the, you know, the, the, the this area where the uh, player is going to come speak with us. Who is it? None other than Bill Wennington. Wow. So Bill Wennington speaking to the kids, and he goes, you know, you guys might remember me. Just a few months ago, me and Michael Jordan combined for 57 points versus the Knicks. And he had I, two. He, he had 55. I had two. <laughs> <laughs> And I just, I, I was the only camper, and every camper knew what he was talking yeah. about. I was the only camper that did not find that funny. 
<laughs> a, a a big time monumental two points because that that, that it was that it absolutely game. was no doubt. Um, so we both mentioned Pat Riley. So now I I, I want to take the time to really analyze so everything we're talking about happened in the Pat Riley era. So now yes, for those who may never remember or don't know, uh, Pat Riley was a coach of the Lakers, won a few titles. He takes a year off after the 90 season. He's now on the NBA on NBC doing the uh, the commentating. And um, he now gets an offer to become the coach of the Knicks. I'm pretty sure you know it, but do you know who the, who the, who the coach was of the Knicks before Pat Riley? Uh, Stu Jackson. No. Wow, I got you. Did I just get stumped? Oh, hold on. I might, I might double check that. No, I'm dead serious. The coach before the New York, uh, before Pat Riley, was not Stu Jackson. It wasn't Patino. Patino was before Jackson. No, because as you as you're trying to uh, as you're trying to think about it, I'm double checking to make sure because I don't want to fuck this up. Because Patino was Rod's rookie year with Mark Trent Tucker. And then it was Stu Jackson. They went up to Boston, won won the playoffs. And then from Stu, nope, I think it I was right. Nope, nope. John McLeod. That's right. It was yeah. It was. I, 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 yeah. You know, <laughs> so it was it was Patino, Stu Jackson, McLeod, Riley. Yeah. Nobody uh, ever talks about McLeod. No. Ever. He coached like he coached. Uh, he coached one year. That's why. Right, it was it was Hubie, Patino, um, Stu Jackson, McLeod, Riley, Van Gundy, and then like twenty other guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I keep going, but I don't want to. Oh God, listen, man, Carmelo had like five coaches in like four years, so I know. Just, just imagine crazy. that. Um, crazy. So now Pat Riley's a coach. He uh, one point five million for five years, so he's now the head coach of the Knicks. So. I mean, I, I would assume every Knicks fan would say, all right, we're going to get at least one championship. That doesn't happen. Very, very close a few times. And now, I mean, during his time, you know, he did not bring on the, the, the Showtime Lakers kind of coaching. It was a very different style, tough and rugged and gritty, more like a bad boys two kind of style of play, uh, which kind of, you know, explained the whole entire 90s basketball of the NBA. Yeah. Um, and now, as you mentioned, the the image of him walking in in the in, in, in the famous hallway at the Garden, thinking like this might be a wrap. My, my last time coaching with the Knicks, you see uh, Ewing all distraught, and a few weeks later, he turns down I think a five year, fifteen million dollar deal to to come back. Um, he wanted control of personnel matters. Um, yep. The the rumor was that he wanted fifty million for five years. Uh, he wanted 25% ownership. So basically, he wanted power more than money. Um, and ultimately, he left and he went to coach the Miami Heat. So now when Riley leaves... And they and they let him make decisions and they gave him part ownership. They gave him everything. So now when Pat Riley leaves... Hold up. Let me say this one more thing, Randy. Go ahead. Go ahead. And, go I, ahead. and, I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and, and part of me is the fan, as a fan, mm-hmm. it, was, it was cool that he left because I love Van Gundy and, and he gave me some great memories. Right. But... The Knicks have made six billion mistakes the last thirty years. If I could take back one thing, is that they should have gave Pat Riley whatever he wanted. 
Why, why Whatever so? you wanted, they should have gave it to him. And because of, of the track record he had with the Knicks prior to that, right? Yeah, and what he did with Miami. So whatever he wanted, the Knicks, um, the Knicks should have gave it to him. But that's not what happened. And, you know, we still had, a, we had great years after Riley. That's the thing. But then again, who knows? Who knows? But when looking back now, it's like, man, they should just – and because I think eventually Riley – would have stepped down coaching, and he probably would have just hired Van Gundy. Mm-hmm. Just the way, like, you know, Pat hired Stan, although that kind of worked out kind of weird because then they he fired Stan, and he took over coaching the Heat in 05. But I think that's how it would have happened. That's not how it happened. But So, I, 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 you know, now now we can say, well, you know, you give Pat Riley everything. But at, at any point, did you feel like it was maybe time to move on? Maybe... The welcome was kind of, you know, fading. No, out. I, I was, I was devastated. Pat left, man. I was devastated. Pat Riley left, and I, I never. So I said I hated Reggie Miller the most as mm-hmm. a player. That never compared to my hate for Pat Riley as a coach. He was the most hated figure in my life as a child. Was Pat Riley after he left? I felt so betrayed. I mean, I hated Pat Riley. So I, I can't even tell you how much I hated Pat Riley. You know, I would like to meet Pat Riley, though, and tell him thank you and tell him no hard feelings anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't think he cares, but I would if I if I have a chance to meet him, I would tell him. I just want to let you know, Pat, I'm Anthony Donahue and I just want to say no hard feelings anymore. And he'd probably laugh and probably realize I'm crazy. <laughs> but that's what I would say to Pat Riley if I met him. Um. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think I think any Nick fan would meet him now and just you know it, it just in the in in the time that you're in you know it, you're in the moment. I hate you. I can't stand you. And then like years go by and, and time heals all wounds. And it's like, hey man, it, it's, it's basketball. You know, you did what you did, and it's, it's it wasn't personal. And you know, now in hindsight, can you say can you say Dave check is hey man, you should have gave Pat Riley whatever whatever he wanted. We could have had one more, two more years in in this run, but then like. It's it's the domino effect. If he stays, Jeff Van Gundy ain't coaching. You know, Don Nelson ain't. Yeah, ain't maybe coaching. eventually. Yeah, no, you're right. <clears throat> yeah, my, Miami, <laughs> the Miami uh, with Alonzo and the Mashburn and Dan Marley and and them always going to the to the playoffs and number one. Yeah, that probably don't happen. doesn't happen. They probably never make that. Glenn Rice for Alonzo yeah. Mourning. Yeah, and if Pat Riley yeah, stays, probably never bring in Mashburn. Yeah, if he stays, there's no there's no Knicks Heat rivalry. Which is one, exactly, one of the and that's why time. I said like I'm glad it all happened. I only say now, 25 years later, they should have given him whatever he wanted. But like mm-hmm. the Knicks Heat rivalry to me was the best rivalry I've ever experienced as a sports fan. Like I'm, I've never experienced anything like the Knicks Heat rivalry. That that was crazy. Mm. So and that was real hatred. Like those guys did not like each other. So you would say that the 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 greatest Nick rivalry is the Miami Heat. Yes. Okay. Some say the Bulls, but I say the Heat. Because they were more successful against Miami as opposed to Indiana, no, Chicago? No, because the Riley factor. I, I just thought the Riley factor to me was huge. And, like, you know, Pat and Oakley and, you know, all those guys going up against Riley, his former players, I just thought that was just, mm. to me, I thought that was such a big deal. You know, what's the one game I can't find on YouTube? I, I was trying to find it before the interview was... The, the day Riley came back to New York. 
Yeah, when he was blow. You know what's funny about that, and I remember watching it is that the Heat didn't get to the Garden that day till like forty minutes before tip off. They actually arrived on the on the charter bus in their uniforms because Riley didn't want any drama. <laughs> but then obviously when they announced him, he was he walked to center court and started blowing yep. kisses. That was that was crazy. And, and my first playoff game I ever went to was versus the Heat in nineteen ninety nine, and I'll mm. never forget just. You know, everybody at the garden chanting Riley sucks. And it was it was fierce, man. And this was, you know, nineteen ninety nine, so it's four years after he left. Mm-hmm. But we still we were still angry, man. We were still angry. We were still bitter. You know, so like yeah. that Riley sucks chant, that, that was more than just a chant. That that was venom. That was that was anger four years later, man. Yeah, did you know that – I'm hoping you didn't know, but – okay, so did you know that the Miami Heat had to send the Knicks a uh, a first-round pick in 96 and a and, uh, uh, million dollars for tampering charges? Yeah, for tampering, yep, I did, I did yes, yeah. for tampering. Yeah, because yep. yeah, because they say, hey, we're going to give you what you want. You, I don't know what it was. Hey, get, get out of New York, and we'll give you what you want. And they had to cough up a draft pick, which I don't know who that was. It probably probably did not matter anyway. Ninety six. I mean, was it was it Dante Jones or oh, I don't Wallace? Because the Knicks had three first round picks in ninety six in the uh, ninety six draft. When I read it, they, they it, it didn't tell me who it was. And if it did, it, it wasn't anybody relevant. I would have told you, hey, it was John Wallace or somebody. But uh, maybe yeah, it, it wasn't relevant. Yeah, especially those days, the Knicks weren't playing a lot of young guys. So it's funny because that draft, the Knicks got John Wallace, Walter McCarty, and Dante Jones. And, you know, none of those three guys really had an impact for the Knicks, you know, because obviously the Knicks Mm -hmm. had older veteran guys on that team. Right. So now Roddy's coaching Miami. Now we get to 97. You uh, you get them in the playoffs. You you are going to get them in 97, 98, 99, 2000. But, uh, you know... Things are changing with with New York. You guys get, um, and I, and I'll break it down. You guys get Larry Johnson. You guys get Allen Houston. You get Chris Childs. Uh, Chris Child comes on board for six years, twenty four million, <coughs> right? Yep. Allen Houston comes on board for seven years, fifty six million, and LJ comes in a trade. And I'm pretty sure you know who we got traded for, right? Yeah, of course, Anthony Mason and Brad Lojas. Brad Lowhouse too, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true, Brad Lowhouse. And now you could say nowadays, damn, LJ got traded for Brad Lowhouse and Ant Mason. Uh, not bad, right? Not bad. Not bad. So now they come in the fold. Um, the Knicks also brought in Buck Williams that offseason too. Right. Okay, so now now we get to 97 playoffs. And before that, I had, I had Bobby, you know Bobby C. Um, of course. Last year. And he told me that the 19, as much as you guys could have won 94, the 1997 team, he felt that was, he said 94 was the best, the best chance of winning the chip, but 97 was the best team to win the chip. Do you agree with that or disagree to saying that the 97 roster you had could have been the best team you had to win the entire championship? I 100% agree. I've said that numerous times. I've had a chance to speak with, you know, those guys. 
you know, obviously Allen Houston or Larry Johnson, they're going to say the 97 team was the best because they weren't on those teams. But I've asked Charles Oakley. I've asked John Starks. Had a chance to ask you know, John Starks. I've definitely asked Oakley. Definitely asked Allen Houston. And they both said absolutely the 97 team was the Knicks' most talented team, without a doubt, because they could do so much. You know what I'm saying? They won 57 games. They beat the Bulls twice that year, and the Bulls still won 69. Um, they could have beat the Bulls in all four games that year. I remember every single one, but they beat the Bulls twice. We were ready for the Bulls. We never got a chance to see the Bulls because of Rod Thorne and the new rules of the fighting. But that team, I really, truly believe in my heart, could have beat the Bulls that year. They, I just think we matched up so well. John Starks won sixth man of the year. Patrick Ewing was still in his prime. Probably the last year of his no, – no, probably about it. That was the last year of his prime. He was still good after that, but that team was fantastic. Young Allen Houston, young Chris Childs, Charlie Ward. Larry Johnson was not the Larry Johnson of the Hornets, mm-hmm. but nevertheless still very good. Yeah, you Buck Williams coming off the bench, good veteran presence. And then just, you know, we were up 3-1 to one on the Heat, going out of Miami to, for Game 5. You know, Game 5 we're about to lose. And then the most ridiculous fight ever breaks out with P.J. Brown flipping Charlie Ward. And the, the Miami for the next two games, they just lost P.J. Brown for two games. The Knicks lost Charlie Ward for two games. In Game 7, they didn't have Larry Johnson and John Starks and Charlie Ward. In Game 6, they didn't have Allen Houston and Patrick Ewing and Charlie Ward. So the Knicks lost five guys, and the Heat lost one. And the Heat ended up winning Game 6 of the Garden, and they won Game 7. And granted, the Knicks beat them the next three years. Mm-hmm. That 97 team was their best chance, I think, to not only win to not only win the championship, but to finally beat the Bulls with number twenty three Michael Jordan there, and we never got a chance to see that series, and that crushes me, man. I wanted to see that series so because I thought the Knicks that year mm-hmm. really could have beat the Bulls, man. We were just we were so talented that year and playing such good basketball. And our roster was Scott Brooks, Chris Childs, Patrick Ewing, Allen Houston, Chris Gent, Larry Johnson, Walter McCarty, Charles Oakley, John Starks, John Wallace, Charlie Ward, Buck Williams, and Herb Williams. Yep. Hmm. And that those, was the squad, man. And that those, was definitely um, the Knicks best team. That suspension, man. You mentioned P.J. Brown was out, uh, Charlie Ward, Ewing, Starks, L.J. Houston. Yeah, they broke it up. They broke, they broke it up. They broke it up, so. yeah. They they broke it up. So, for example, John Starks and Larry Johnson got to play in game six. Then they was out game seven. Had the Knicks won game six, they would have been out game one versus the Bulls. So, and I think that the Knicks wanted it where all five guys were out game six. And then they have a full roster for game seven. Yeah. So I feel like that kind of screwed them even worse. Because they was probably like, all right, we take this L in game six. We'll have a full roster for game seven. So then for game six, they just suspended Allen Houston and Patrick Ewing and Charlie, of course, because Charlie got suspended for two. And then you lose game six, and now game seven, you get Allen Houston and um, Patrick Ewing back, but now you don't have Larry Johnson and John Starks. So it was just – the whole thing was just – 
it was just a complete nightmare and a disaster. And it was the first year of like like Allen Houston and Patrick Ewing. They didn't even get in the fight. Like yeah, John Starks acted crazy. Of course, he was flipping mm-hmm. off the crowd and all that shit. But Patrick Ewing and Allen Houston they didn't even get in the fight, man. They just they the get court. suspended. It was just and it was the, but it was the first year of that rule. Because if you watch any NBA fights before 1996. Mm-hmm. Got teams ran out on the bench. Teams took the court. They didn't get suspended. So that was the first year of that rule. I mean, I think Patrick Ewing was like shooting free throws on the other end of the court. He wasn't even in the brawl, and he got suspended for game six. So it was just, it was just an overall disaster. And then Tim Hardaway absolutely dominated game five, game game seven, mm. and the Heat won that series, and the Bulls dominated them in the, the conference finals. But so we never got to see. That Knicks Bulls series with, you know, the 96 97 Knicks, which we, which I agree, I believe you agree, mm-hmm. Bobby C agrees, players agree that that was the Knicks, and Jeff Van Gundy agrees that was the Knicks' most talented team. But because of the suspensions, we never had a chance to see that Knicks Bulls series in the 1997 conference finals. Now, I'm not sure if that was the first year that that rule was in place. Maybe it was. It was. It was. Because yes. I read somewhere that that the reason why the rule came into play was, again, a former Nick Greg Anthony back in 93. Oh, in, in Phoenix. In Phoenix. So he's yes. in street clothes. There's a fight brought, uh, going out. Kevin Johnson, Doc Rivers. The Danny Age and all, and all them guys. He comes on and he punches Kevin Johnson in the face. And he's not even, yep. not even in uniform, off the bench, and then boom. That's where I read that now, going forward, that rule. That was a crazy outfit yeah. he was wearing, too, if you remember. Yo, I haven't seen us in such a long time. Well, it was I, I very 1993. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he just came in decades. <laughs> yeah, that, that brawl was kind of crazy. <laughs> that brawl was crazy. Um, I, I really think that New York could have beaten Miami with a full roster in 97. 98, you get them in uh, five games in what round was that? The first round, the, the Knicks were the seventh seed. That was the year that Patrick Ewing broke his wrist. He was out for the season. Oh yeah, um, oh, yeah. Andrew Lang fouled him, and we beat the. That was crazy. Milwaukee, we beat right? The Heat that was in, in Milwaukee. Yeah, it was in Milwaukee oh, yeah. on a Saturday night in December. Mm. Yeah, that was bad too. And that was crazy, man, because like we didn't have Ewing, and the Heat had a full roster, and we won. Miami won Game One. We come back, win Game Two. They win game three at the Garden. Eric Mur- Eric Murdoch had had a big three to finish that game. Then we win game four, but in the closing moments of game four, Patrick, you know, Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning trade punches, although no- nobody connected. Mm-hmm. Jeff Van Gundy's on the pile. Yep. And if you remember, if you're watching the game, Mike Breen says, this is going to have huge ramifications for game five. And sure enough, Alonzo Mourning gets suspended, and so did Larry Johnson. As much as I love LJ... I'm like shit. If they're without Alonzo Mourning, granted we were we were we were without Ewing, mm-hmm. but I'm like if they were without Alonzo Mourning, we're gonna smoke them in Game Five. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, we did, and the Knicks ended up winning that series. Man, what 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 a that was big time revenge for me personally. Like I was super upset we lost to the Pacers in the second round, obviously, but I kind of knew we had no chance. You know, Patrick Ewing came back in Game Two. He was so rusty. But to beat Miami after the year, what happened the year before, to win the deciding game down in Miami in the 1998 first round, I'll tell you what, man, it wasn't quite a championship, but it felt kind of close to it. So now, 
You beat them in '98. I think you lose to Chicago, right? No, Indiana. Indiana. Oh, Indiana. Yes. That's right. Indiana, Chicago, College Finals. All right. All right. So now. That was a good series, by the way. That 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 went seven. Yeah. That was the only time Michael Jordan played in the game seven, right? The only. Uh, no. Uh, he he played game seven against Yon. Uh, ninety two. Ninety two. Ninety two and ninety seven and ninety eight. Nine, yeah, no. 92 versus the Knicks and 98 versus the Pacers. Right. So now you guys come back and you get Miami in 99. But now it's even different because now you guys get Latrell Sprewell in a trade for John Starks. I think yep. Terry Cummings, right? John, it was it was John Starks, Terry Cummings, and Chris Mills for Latrell Sprewell. Jesus Christ. And then you also get Camby. From Toronto. For Charles Oakley. For Charles yep. Oakley. Also signed Kurt Thomas. Okay, so now you guys getting a little younger, more athletic, giving you know more help to for, for, for Patrick. And you still got LJ on board. You still got Allen Houston there. Still got Ewing, of course, Charles and Ward. So now, okay, now you're a pretty decent roster. But now you guys are the eighth seed. And me, I, I noticed... I know this because I'm like a sophomore in high school. This is my first year becoming a fan. So now Chicago is no more. They win uh, 98. Everybody leaves. So I'm like, I don't have a team. And then you guys get Spreewell. And Spree was you know, one of my favorites back in Golden State. So I said, fuck it, man. I'll ride it out. And I became a Knicks fan. And, then, and you know, I don't know what, what their record was, but I'm like, you know what? I watch a few games. I like Spreewell. I like Allen Houston and everything. So I'm like, all right, bet. I, I, you know, I, I can dig it. And now we, we're, we're the eighth seed, and we get Miami in the, in the first round. I think a very competitive series. But then we get yeah. to well, – all the It's funny. All The first four games of that series were trash. The Knicks blew them out in game one. Miami blew us out in game two. Mm-hmm. Game three was the first playoff game I ever went to. The okay. Knicks won that game 97-73. Game four, Miami, you know, washed us. Yep. And then game five, it was back and forth every possession. Mm-hmm. So now put me put me in game five. Oh, man. Uh, what a day. You're down one. And I think if I'm not, if, if I'm not wrong, I think – Miami or New York had the play coming out, and then Miami or New York had a timeout. I think someone called a timeout. And then they, the Knicks they, did. The Knicks yeah. called a timeout. So they changed. Yeah, but it. they decided they. I believe when the Knicks, the Knicks got a defensive stop. Mm. I think on a steal, and the Knicks called a timeout. But they went the length of the court to bring it up the court. Okay. And if you remember, that possession was about to be one of the worst possessions of all time. <laughs> The Knicks, that possession was going absolutely nowhere. <laughs> and the Knicks caught a break yeah, by the ball out going bounds. out of bounds. Yeah. And when the ball went out of bounds, Van Gundy, they didn't call a timeout. They didn't have a timeout, but they drew up a play. Mm. And that was a play called Triangle and Down, where Allen Houston comes to the ball and then goes to the basket. And Allen caught the ball, went to the basket, and then everything went perfect. Right. But that if, if the ball doesn't go out of bounds, I'm not saying the Knicks are – can't make a crazy shot, but if if you're a Knicks fan, you're watching, and you're just a basketball fan listening to this great show, go back and watch that possession. But you know, from when the possession started with you know 18, 20 seconds left on the clock, that possession was going nowhere. The Knicks caught a break by the ball going out of bounds, and yeah. like I said, it got them to to stack and draw up a play 
which is the play called, and I believe Tom Hammond um, or Steve Snapper Jones says it. Yeah. Steve Snapper Jones says this is a play called Triangle and Down. And then all of a sudden, you know, Charlie Ward inbounds, you know, off to Houston, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah. Houston Ducks under. Got it. I know the play. And, and oh, that yeah. Shit went in. Um, it was like maybe seven tenths of a second to go. Eight You're, tenths of a second. Eight tenths of, eight tenths of a second. Game five in Miami. They're the one seed. They, against their rival, they go down. And I'm like, man, like, just imagine what Pat Roddy's thinking right now. Like, yep. <laughs> two years in a row now. Two years in a row. Now you're the one seed. You're the first ever one seed to lose to an eighth seed. So now, now you, you're adding more historical content to this whole rivalry. Well, in the Eastern Conference, it had happened once before with the Seattle Supersonics losing right. to the Denver Nuggets in 94. Right. Uh, which that was a whole different story for a whole different show, man. I can't that made it. no sense because, I mean, that, that Sonics team was much better. I mean, everybody knew the Knicks and Heat, even though the, Heat, the Knicks were eight seed, those two teams were similar. I don't know how the hell. That Sonics team lost to that Nuggets team. That still makes no sense. Although yeah. I guess Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf went off, and but that's like you said that's that's a show for another day. Yeah, and they were the one seed. Real quick, now, now imagine just hypothetical at the Knicks played Seattle in that series. Does New York get a championship in '94? '94. If it's Seattle, if, the, if they're the one seed, that would have been they, an interesting yeah. series because Seattle was kind of up and down, uh, getting up getting up the court fast. The Knicks were not. Yeah, I think we could have beat Seattle. I think I think Ewing would have owned Sean Kemp. Who was the, who was their five? Perkins, Michael Cage, Michael Cage. Yeah, the Knicks, <laughs> the Knicks, yeah, they have Perkins on that squad too, though, right? Ah, uh, Cage, Sam Perkins, Derek McKee, Ricky Pierce, Kemp. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 yeah, the Knicks would have, the Knicks would have washed Seattle. I don't care how many dunks Sean Kemp would have had. The Knicks would have washed Seattle. I don't know about wash. Come on now. I don't know about wash. They would have beat them. They would have beat Seattle. Um, all right, so back to Miami. You beat them. Now you're going, you go you beat Atlanta in round two. You get Indiana in round three. Again, another rival. Now, speaking of phantom calls, you know, me and you both love LJ. Um, you, you got one in 94. Did you get another one in 99? Did Antonio Davis even touch LJ? In I mean, there three? was a little bump. A little. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little. That, a little was a, that, that felt like two hours, too. They inbound the ball. Jalen Rose tips it. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, shit, we even going to get up a shot. Larry catches it. And if you remember, which if you don't, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Larry had two big threes that game already. Mm-hmm. Like big threes, like from deep. So Larry was already hot. So as soon as Larry caught the ball, if you if you notice, a lot of the players in the Knicks crashed right away because mm-hmm. they knew he was fine. Like if you ask Spree, Allen, Childs, ask any of those guys, right? They all say, as soon as Larry caught the ball, they knew he was fired. So they went to crash right away. Luckily, they didn't need to crash because Larry made the shot, and to this day. People say, and I was not at that game, people say that was the loudest they've ever heard Madison Square Garden because of, I think it was because of the magnitude of the game, obviously, mm-hmm. but the shock value. Yeah. Who gets fouled and makes a three in the conference finals to tie a game with you know, six seconds? I mean, that, that that's unheard of. That was crazy. 
Yeah, because every time they show the the highlight of the, of the high camera, yeah, it's, like it's the, unreal. Like it's shaking. The the garden is shaking. It's unreal. It's crazy. Um, so that happens. You're now up two one. You eventually uh, beat them in six. Um, and just this Alan, it was like Allen Houston's coming out party. Like he just, he just like yeah, he was great. He was great. He, he was great those whole playoffs. Yeah, he was great those whole playoffs. But he was really great that series versus Indiana, but the best player on the, but to be honest, you know, led the Knicks in scoring in that series versus the Pacers. Uh, I'm going to take a guess scoring the Knicks scoring in that series. Uh, if, if, if it ain't Allen Houston, it was Larry. It was Larry Johnson. Yeah. Larry was fantastic that series, but the, to me, the best all around player that series was Marcus. Marcus Camby oh, yeah, was spectacular Kimmy, yeah. that series. Yeah, I mean, I think he he pretty much had to because Ewing goes down in game two, right? Yeah. Yep. Game two. Game two. So now Camby starts. I think they no no, no actually came off the bench. What Dudley Camby started? Didn't start until game three versus the Spurs in the finals. So Dudley was starting. Dudley was starting. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. But it oh made sense, God. though. I, I like can't. I, I mean, I would ra- obviously Marcus is better, but it made sense for, from an energy standpoint to bring Camby off the bench mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah, um, he's off the bench. Spree was coming off the bench in, in yep, early until in the game playoffs, four versus the Pacers. Until game four, so now he starts, um, and you guys beat you the end in six. So now you guys are going to the finals against San Antonio. Ewing is out. So the yeah, that question, sucked. I, I, it definitely would have been different if Pat played. So I'm going to ask you right now: If Patrick Ewing was healthy in that series, do they do they win a championship? Do they win two games? I Is think it, the series goes seven. Seven. And, and and obviously, I've asked Nick players about that, so they're they're obviously going to say that. But I had a chance um, to chat with Sean Elliott, okay. great Spur, and he said, "Listen." I'm not going to tell you guys would have beat us, nor will I ever. But if Pat plays, the series is substantially different. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I agree. I, I think you guys get to at least at least a game six, at least. Um, could, look, Duncan, man, this, this is uh, year two Tim Duncan we're talking about. He was... Yep. Fucking phenomenal. All-star. Phenomenal. Off the backboard going crazy. 20, 30 a game. Like the beginning of the Hall of Famer that we know now. It just he, Like who was guarding him? Even if Ewing plays, LJ had the, the, the assignment to guard him. And LJ's, LJ's playing power forward at what? 6'6", six, 6'7"? Six, six, exactly. Nah, no, nobody, nobody was standing. And Duncan, to be fair, would have been too quick for Pat. And then Pat had a guard. Rob would have, yeah, it would have been tough. I mean, it would have been different if Pat played, but nobody was stopping Tim Duncan. Nobody stopped Tim Duncan his whole career. Mm. So that's another finals the Knicks could have had to win a championship. So now, is there a difference? What what, what bothers you more? 94, 99? 94 because it was game seven. 99 because there was no Ewing. What kind uh, of what bothers, bothers you more? Me, 90, 94 bothers me more. Um, 99, I was obviously devastated when we lost game five. Sprewell mm-hmm. missed that last shot. The shot wouldn't even have counted. Avery Johnson at the game winner. Um, the day, day or two after we lost to the Spurs in 99, I kind of was just like, wow, 
that was an amazing run, and I can't wait till next season. 94, that hurt so much all summer, even though I was still looking forward to the next season, and the next season was still won 50 some, 55 games and lost to the Pacers in the second round. But in 99, um, two days later, I was just like, yo, that was the most amazing run ever. We were eight seed. We beat Miami. We swept Atlanta. You know, we, we beat Indiana. We got to the finals. Like, I, I, that was a party, man. That was the best two months of my life, man, that 99 run. Because, like, I'm a Knicks fan. So the Knicks can start off 10-0 and this year. And you know I'll be like, oh, I expected it. That's me. But, man, nobody saw it. I mean, I saw it coming because that's just me. But, like, that 99 run was so much fun. So when it was over, I was just I was just so proud of them. I, I had my chest held high, mm-hmm. and I said I said bring it on next year, man, because I really thought I really thought ninety nine two thousand we could win the championship. Like I re, and we were close. That we we I thought that was our year. To this day, I I, I think about the ninety nine two thousand season literally every day. I think about that season. Think about those playoffs, and um, and you know the Knicks really never been the same since. So we're in two thousand now. You beat the Raptors in round one. Uh, Great, we swept them. All three games are good games, though. Yeah, all three games came down to like the final play. And who made the big shot in game one versus the Raptors? Larry Johnson. Who made the big shot in game three versus the Raptors? Larry Johnson. I want to say one thing. If you've never heard my interview with Jeff Van Gundy from 2014 that I did, I've had a chance to interview Jeff mm-hmm. about four or five times. But on this one show, Jeff told me that as great as the four-point play was, that play does Larry Johnson a disservice to how great and clutch he was. Because people tend to think of him just as the four-point play when Larry Johnson was so reliable, especially in big game situations. Right. No, you're right because he, he did come up big. Like you mentioned, game uh, Indiana series, now in Toronto. Like he was the main one of the main focal points of the offense that people tend to kind of underrate at that time because, you know, when you hear Larry Johnson, you're thinking Charlotte, Grandma, dunk contest, dunking on people. But yep. now back injuries come into play. He, he has to modify his game to more of a low post, you know, small power forward. Kind and he of game. did it well. He, yeah. He, he modified his game and, you know, changed his game and did it well. Very well. Um, he recreated himself and he was great doing it. So now – we fast forward all the way to, like I mentioned, Toronto. And now second round, who you get second round? Miami. We, we, we won oh, a seven. Right. Great oh. series. Game seven. So remember that. Um, great series. Every game was every game was great. And then again, you beat them in Miami. So back-to-back back years, yep. you go to distance. You beat them in Miami. Um, I think Clarence Weatherspoon... Yep, Clarence was the last, the last shot. Sprewell <laughs> got the rebound. He was holding the Knicks towel in the air. Yeah, man, what a what a moment, man! That was, yeah, that man. was probably the last great Nick moment of my life. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, as far as like, I've had a couple fun moments mm-hmm. since, but like that moment beating Miami in the second round, two thousand, yeah, was the last great, great with a capital G, great moment of my life, man. Like, I, I. I 
it sucks. It was great then. Yeah. But to think, you know, we don't have we don't have enough time to go over the next nineteen years. But <laughs> man, like that, and that's why two thousand, you know, hurts me even more as a fan. And I'm not, I'm not gonna say I knew what was about to happen. I didn't. But when we lost to the Pacers in two thousand, and we were a little bit banged up, and as I said earlier in the show, I predicted a Knicks Blazers finals that year, and ironically, we beat the Blazers twice that season. And the Knicks were a game away from going to the finals, and the Blazers were a couple minutes away from going to the finals. So it could have been a Knicks-Blazers finals, and I think the Knicks win that series. But when the Knicks lost to the Pacers in 2000, Randy, every year the Knicks lost in the playoffs as a kid, I cried. Every year I was upset. But in 2000, even though Sprewell was still young, mm-hmm. Allen was still young, right. Camby was still young, yep. Kurt was still young. That's a great nucleus right there. You could keep that for the next – think about it. You could have kept them guys the next six years and been fine if you did the right things. But when we lost that night versus the Pacers, I remember I took a walk across my town. I went to the gas station. I got a roast beef hero, sat by myself, and I'm just like, this feels different. And mainly I – mean, every year I, I hope to win the championship, but, but that year, for some reason, that year I really thought we had it. And – I, I didn't know that you was going to get traded in a few months. I didn't know over the next 19 years that we would see the Knicks win seven total playoff games, seven playoff games, one playoff series. But something about that night hurt more than losing a 99 to the Spurs, 98 to the Pacers, 97 to the Heat, 96 to the Bulls, 95 to the Pacers, 94 to the Rockets, 93 to the Bulls, 92 to the Bulls, 91 to the Bulls. Something about that night hurt more that I cannot. I mean, obviously, it's easy to explain now because what's happened the last 19 years. Mm -hmm. But that night crushed me. I had my junior prom the next day. And I do have a picture of myself doing the big L. But it was the day after those playoffs. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, you know, Ewing gets traded. They do win 48 games the next year. They were still very good. And they get to the playoffs. They lose to the Raptors, mm-hmm. and then they, and then just you know we have to do we have to do another show on the next nineteen years. If we can. <laughs> um, I'll gladly do it with you. That'd, yeah. that'd be fun. I don't know if that'd be fun, but I'll gladly do it. Oh no! And I just, I just, I, I never saw this coming. You know, there's so many. I, I think this is definitely for another show because mm-hmm. if we start getting into this, we'll go for another two hours. <laughs> but like, there's like little things. I'm gonna bring up like one, like 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 one little thing. Like for example, like even when Pat left, you know, you had the seventh pick in the draft. You know, you easily could have just kept Nene. You could have drafted Karan Butler, or you could have drafted Amari Stoudemire. You could have kept Marcus Camby, who was great for ten more years. Latrell Sprewell was still great. Allen Houston was still great. Kurt Thomas was still great. You could have got yourself a new point guard, and you could have been good. But instead, they traded for Antonio McDice, and then McDice breaks his leg, and you know they they trade they trade the seventh pick in the nay. Again, this is all stuff for another show. Yeah. But I just that's why I go back to that night in two thousand because. Mm. Like I said, I was hurt after every playoff loss, every time we lost in the springtime. But like I said, I, I didn't know what was about to happen the next 19 years on that June night in 2000. But it just hurt so much, more than ever, more than ever. And then now, 
I know why it hurt. I know why it hurt because the basketball gods knew what was about to happen. And what happened was the next 19 years. Yeah. Um, well, one, Dallas. Like 19 years is a long time, bro. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Forget about a championship. Seven playoff wins, yeah. one playoff series. We've only been over 500 in like January, like four times. Yeah. Like it just, it's, it's, it's mind boggling. What's happened? And I think those seven wins were four against Boston, two against Indiana, one against Miami. You're absolutely correct. Um, yep. And then we had the, the playoffs in 2004 where we got swept. And by, uh, Tim New Thomas, Jersey. the Fugazi shit. And, yeah. you know, I was at all those. I went to game one in Jersey and I went to games three and four in New York. The net. No, actually, game three and four in New York were close games. But, you know, we, mm. you know. You know, win, and you know, I thought Marbury. You know, again, you know, just everything went wrong. It's like everything we did after after we traded Pat went wrong. And yeah, what's I, funny about that is that yeah. so many of the moves we made on paper look good. You're like, okay, like this is a good roster. Like I remember, like in 2005, like I was talking to Q Q Rich, and he was like, "All right, I didn't think we was gonna win the championship, but you know, we had Larry Brown, the coach. We had." We had Steph, we had Jamal, we had Eddie. They win 23 games. You know what I'm saying? Like, this, nothing made sense. And nothing, I hope it's about to start to make sense because it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Um, I mean, just, just look at it. The last time you had a, uh, an NBA game in the month of June in the Garden was 2000. And it's like. Correct. That's correct. Like you, the, even that sounds surreal. Like, the Garden, man. Like, the Knicks, you. You can't get you can't get back to the conference finals in 19 years and think about what you was doing in 2000 like 2000 like what I when I think of the year 2000 I think of like New Year's Eve and like everybody being scared yeah I mean I wasn't but people were scared people like canned foods I remember spring of 2000 Napster right. um I actually remember the first song I downloaded on Napster I, I I still have all my CDs. So I, I had so many CDs, mm -hmm. but you know what the first song I downloaded on Napster was? Uh, a Jay Z it's super song. Super random. A Jay Z it's not, song. No, it's not a random song. It's just like I had so much already in my CD department, and this is the first song I downloaded. Probably a Jay Z song. Probably uh, who no, because I have I have every Jay Z CD. Okay, so um, I wouldn't have needed to. Two thousand. Who was out in two thousand? Um, I'll just tell you, it was um. 112 and Little Zane anywhere. That was the first song I that was the first song I downloaded on oh I ever God. downloaded in my life. <laughs> Out of all the songs you get uh anywhere with Well, I think cuz I had any hot hip hop CD I had. You know what I'm saying around that time. So um I don't know I don't know if I particularly looked for that song, maybe it was on MTV mm -hmm. and I just uh I put in like 112, Little Zane or whatever. And then like, right. I remember you could only download like, you know, two, three songs at a time. Yeah. So, so, but it was fun. Those days were fun though. I missed those days, you know? It you know? was fun, um, man. It was. It's just, um, dial up. I remember getting, I didn't get Roadrunner until the end of my senior year, which was the next year. Uh, so the best thing about that was, you know, you could put an away message up all day. You know what I'm saying, but I, I I agree with you, man. 2000 was like the big you know, after that, the beginning of the wheels are turning a little bit. You know, yep. Ewing is traded to 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 Seattle, and for those who don't know, 
you probably do know, but he goes to see, he goes to Seattle for two picks. Some guy called Lazaro Burrell, Vernon Maxwell, Vladimir Stepania. Yeah, the trade is it's and, a big trade too. Chris it's, Dudley goes to Phoenix and, uh, with a first round pick, and then you guys was Luke Longley in the deal. He wasn't. I know he was a Nick the next year, but it wasn't a deal, right? Nah, because you guys got back a first round pick, which ended up being Jamal Tinsley down, down the road. Um, Travis Knight and Glenn Rice. Yeah, Glenn Travis Knight and Glenn Rice. Yeah, I, I obviously knew that. Uh, I guess we just signed Luke Longley outright. I mm-hmm. obviously I know Luke was a Nick that year. Um, but yeah, no, nah, it was. Um, and uh, do you remember the original Ewing trade was actually two months before? And we were supposed to get Glenn Rice and Vin Baker. And Vin Baker in 2000 was a stud. Right. Vin Baker was, yeah, he was in he, uh, Milwaukee first and then Seattle, right? Right. And then okay. and then that trade fell through. And then it ended up happening two months later. And I've had a chance to speak with Jeff Van Gundy about the trade. And he said that um, even though Ewing wanted to be traded, they didn't have to trade him. And that he come in the training camp that – he would have cooperated, and he's like, I'm not saying we would have won the championship that year, but if the Knicks just let Ewing's contract ride out, he, he probably just retires at the end of that year. I know we ended up playing one more season with Orlando, oh God. but he probably, if he, the Knicks didn't trade him, he probably just retires that year. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, you don't get Shannon Anderson, you don't get Howard Isley, but then you trade Glenn Rice, who you got in the Ewing deal for Shannon Anderson and Howard Isley. And then you probably just so much stuff doesn't. Mm-hmm. The Ewing trade was such a domino effect on what happened with the New York Knicks after 2000. What 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 was more of a sore eye for you, Ewing in Seattle jersey or Orlando Magic, or both? Uh Seattle because it just happened. Seattle. Yeah, Ewing because it just happened. It was just like what really. Yeah. Like oh, like oh, I mean, <laughs> see, I, yeah. I mean, listen, man, you, yeah. you, you, you tend to see uh, all-time greats go with someone uh, like even a Lajuan in like a, a fucking Raptor uniform is like, yep. you know, what's that? Yeah, yep, that's you know, like, off, man. Sean Kemp in like a Cav or Orlando jersey, it's like oh, what's that? Yep. Ewing yep. with Seattle and Orlando, it just I don't I mean, know, Michael man. Jordan. Although Michael Jordan was great with the Wizards, I yeah. mean, to be forty years old, he was getting twenty three a night. He had a couple fifty point games. He was still a great player, but it was still weird seeing Mike in a Wizards uniform. Yeah, so, but it was cool. It was fun for the game. I thought because he was still like he wasn't out there as a scrub. He was still a great player. Mm-hmm. So now I ask you this before uh, I wrap it up. Um, yeah. I know Ewing gets a lot of flack with the media. I, I, you know, back then, like maybe his rapport with them wasn't on, on, you know, on great terms or whatever case may be, for what I've read. But do you ever think, like, in hindsight, I know a lot of fans love Ewing, but do you ever feel like he was sort of underappreciated while being? Wait, in Randy, England? Randy, this is the easiest question to answer. Of course. Okay. Not me myself, but yes, man, I was at games, especially in the late nineties where like he would, he would Pat Pat's like last year as a Nick, he still averaged 17 and 10 at 37. Mm-hmm. And there was times I was at games, man, where he caught the ball in the post and the whole crowd would just groan. Like the fuck you groaning about, man. It's Patrick Ewing. 
So, yes, yes, he was so underappreciated. And when he came back with the Sonics in end of February 2001, he got, like, the biggest ovation in New York sports history. And every time Pat is back at the Garden, every time to this day, mm-hmm. he gets a thunderous standing ovation. You know why he does? Two reasons. One, because he deserves it. And two, because of jack wagons that didn't appreciate him that now feel bad even 19 years later. So shame on them. I agree. <laughs> I, 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 I get because it. That, and that's why at Patrick Ewing night, the chants were even louder. In 03, because there were yeah. so many fans that felt bad. Not everybody was like me. I always appreciated Pat. But there were so many fans that felt bad about how they mistreated that man. And that's why Patrick nights like Patrick Ewing, the cheers were even louder. There's so many fans like, man, we had him. And I treated him like this. Mm. I'm going to cheer for him even louder now. Yeah, I, I, I recall that. I think, uh, you know, Barkley was there. I was there, there for Ewing night. Uh, I was U- there. Jordan was there. Uh, uh, oh, the Ewing night was crazy, yeah, man. Ewing, Ewing night yeah. was out of this world that yep. night was man i was in i still I, I do have pictures of myself that night i'm i mm-hmm. still see i'm looking at the pin right now from ewing night that i have um that was a historical sad night for me in my life i mean i'm glad i was there but uh right it was sad and um but I'm, I'm glad that i was there and got to be there for such a great night from for my favorite player of all time for someone who, one of my favorite quotes from Ewing Night, they played a video montage on Garden Vision, and my favorite quote was a quote from the great writer Ian O'Connor, and basically he said what he said was, "You don't measure a champion by how many rings he has, but how many ice packs he has on after his, on his knees after a game." Hmm. Yeah, and Ewing that, did have the that quote he did have the ice packs. You and did have those uh, those ice cream. He did. Tell you that. He did. Yeah, he did. Um, did you? Do you feel like the? I mean, in, in that era, you had Jordan Pippen, you had Stockton Malone, you had Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, a lot of duos. You know, a, a, a number two, a strong number two. Did you ever felt the Knicks ever gave Pat? A strong number two in order to win it, win a championship. I mean, no. I mean, obviously, John Starks, Oakley, those are three, four guys. Yeah. And I guess you could say Allen Houston, but that That's was only well. a year. I mean, Pat played with Allen three, four more years, but like where Pat was in his prime and Allen was coming into his prime, right. that was only the 96 97 season because Pat got hurt in December of 97 and broke his wrist. So Pat only got Allen in his prime for one season. And look, mm-hmm. they won. Seven games, so right. I think Allen could have been a nice, you know, because Allen was an all-star player. You know, Sprewell, you know, but Sprewell wasn't. Sprewell was great, but Pat then was declining. Although he was still good, very good. Yeah. So yeah, Pat in his prime never really had that number two guy. Mm. Yeah, I, and and I'm thinking like if he did, I think Patrick Ewing will be a champion today. Of course, absolutely. Or just sometimes you just need a little luck too, and he yeah. he never really got those balances either. Literally in game five, game seven versus the Pacers in '95, or just you know the suspensions in '97, or breaking his wrist in '98, or just a few things going wrong in the 2000 playoffs. 
sometimes need need a little luck also. And unfortunately, Pat didn't get that uh, get that a lot. I mean, I think he, he got uh, a little luck because again, no, he did. He had, he had Hugh Hollins. I know, I know. He had no, he not, had Hugh. Not Hollins. even that. Not even that. Because I was gonna mention. Listen, he might have walked in a little fadeaway in '94. I know. I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard, he I never walked. saw the play. I only heard on radio. <laughs> <laughs> um. But I, I think, you know, the whole Ewing era, man, it, it, it comes to a close in 2000 with the Knicks. And, you know, he gets Ewing night in 03, the the jerseys and the Raptors, respectfully so. Um, and it just capped off a, what, uh, 2000, like a 15-year career in New York, right? Yeah, 15 years, 17 years total, but yep. Um, and after that, you get the end of the, of the Van Gundy era in 01. And... Um, how are you? How would you package Van Gundy's career with the Knicks compared to a Pat Riley? Who who had the better career with New York, Van Gundy or Pat Riley? Um, that's a or good. Both? I would say draw. A draw. I mean, Van Gundy didn't have any expectations, but I would say draw. I mean, Jeff got to the finals. Jeff had a bad break in '97, '98. Got to the conference finals, and I would say tie. I would give him ties. Ties. Now, were you were you surprised at how how devastated were you when he just uh, left in the what December? Completely devastated. It was a Saturday afternoon. Um, the Knicks were playing the Pacers that night. Obviously, again, no social media, no smartphones. Right. So I went to meet one of my friends at Woodbury. I had tickets to the game that night. I went to meet one of my good friends at Woodbury Commons from upstate. That we was driving to the game. And we decided to stop at my my apartment, my mom's apartment. I was seven. I was eight. I just turned eighteen. And before I, we went down to the garden, of course, I checked the computer, checked my email, and there was mm-hmm. an email from like NBA.com. Right. It said like Van Gundy quit, or maybe it was from the Knicks. I don't remember. Like like Knicks fan email or something. And I was like, Jeff Van Gundy quit. I couldn't believe it. And we got to the game. And the game started at like seven thirty, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I was there at like five in the lobby. And everybody was talking about it in the lobby. And there was fans at the game because, again, it was 2001, different time, different era, that fans didn't even – there was fans, diehard fans, that were getting to the lobby that night didn't even know we quit yet because they were just probably doing their thing that day, you know, out with their mm-hmm. friends, their family, their kids. Not you know, They have no smartphone, you know, and they just didn't hear yet. So that yeah. was very surprising. I don't think anybody saw that coming in. And Jeff Van Gundy told me this on a show, too. He told me that that's the biggest regret of his life, actually, is leaving the Knicks. But at the time, he saw, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I say this, he saw where the organization was going. And unfortunately, he, was, he wasn't wrong. No. And it shows... 19 years later, man, you see what's Yo, going on. Man, and that it does, that it has. That it has. You get a flurry of a playoff here and there, a free agent and this and that. And it never pans out. And, you know, we're still to this day. We're, we're about to be in 2020 uh, just hoping to get a playoff berth or just to be relevant. I, I think the just NBA. Just hoping to have some games that matter after Christmas. You know yeah, what I'm saying? The NBA, 
I said it before, before I wrap up, the NBA is better when the Knicks are relevant. You know, when you get the, I agree. the Knicks in Philadelphia and Boston and those kind of, you know, big market teams in Chicago, the NBA is better when, 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 they, when these teams are good, decent, good, or great. And I know at some point the Knicks are going to be better. It, it just, again, we're another year with, you know, you never know. we got to wait and see. And we've been doing that for, for far too long. And the Knicks fans deserve a good product. They deserve to go there and get, the, and get their money's worth. They deserve to have a functional organization that, uh, that will do the right thing, sign the right people, get the right personnel in there. It just... We're still in a, in a matter of wait and see. And you see other teams go to playoffs and win a championship. It's like, oh, my God, like, all right, what about us? When 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 is New York going to be back on back on top of the map or be relevant? And um, hopefully, again, every year we're like, hey, maybe this year, maybe we'll, we'll be an eighth seed. It just that's – the, that's the expectations now. And at, at some point, you know, that's that's got to stop, man. I – could not agree with you more. <laughs> I could not agree with you more. It's, it's it's unbelievable, and that's why I don't think I don't consider myself old. But that's why a lot of the younger fans they're even more bra- they're even more scarred than me, maybe because they never even all they got is Lynn Sanity and a couple oh. fifty four win season in 2012, 2013. They got nothing. At least at thirty five years old, I got I got some pretty fun memories and. Some play, played in a lot of big games, but that was a long time ago. Now, even for me, that was a long, long time ago. Yeah, man. A, a, a lot of young fans nowadays tend to shit on the Knicks. Uh, they had their reasons, but they, they don't because they don't remember when they were good or great or decent, and and that's such a long time ago. So now, a young kid, 13, 14, 15 years old, mentioned the Knicks. Oh, they ain't got nobody. They suck. I I, I don't play with them on two K. You know, like that, that just right, yeah, exactly. nowadays. But uh, somebody my age or your age and our our demographic would know, like, man, listen, the Knicks. If you want to talk about the Knicks, you got to go back to two thousand and ninety nine and 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 before that. But hopefully, one day, man, they get back on the winning ways, and we can start talking about playoffs and being a championship I hope contender. So. I hope so. Hopefully, we're uh. We're hanging together at some playoff events, and you know, right. hopefully, uh, it's all we can hope for, man. And listen, man, you know, you you do. It's funny how uh, you tend to work with them. I work with them, and it will, you know, we're heavily involved in, in, in what they do. They they support you, and you support them, and with their events, and it just now, you know, you 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 do feel like you're a part of, a, a part of the family. Oh, um, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, of course, the the Knicks to me. And this is something I never thought would happen as a kid. I mean, the Knicks right. for me are more than just a team. They're more than just the franchise. They are my family. I mean, mm. so many people I've met because of the Knicks, to the Knicks, yourself, so many other people, and get a chance to work so closely with the organization the last 15 years and even more the last four or five years, the Orange Blue Crew. Mm. You know, we're doing some amazing things. And so when we do get good, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to mean – I mean, to think it would mean even more than it meant to me when I was a kid is crazy. But when we are good, it is going to mean even more because of the family aspect right. of just people I've known that maybe even the people that aren't there anymore, people who, like we work with, you know, the Edgars and Chris and Dan, mm-hmm. Artie, so many, you know, Jason Negron, you know, so many people that have been part of my life, your life. And it becomes so much more than just you know, people, you know, and just friends, it becomes a family thing. And like, you know, we all, 
you know, we want to be there together. It's, you know, and all the friends I've made over the years because of the Knicks and, you know, through social media. So this, this is more than just, you know, my, my, my slogan more than just being a fan. It's, mm. it's so much more, man. And that's why like, I can't wait till, um, you know, this team really matters and takes off. Right. And then, you know what I say? My last point is when the Knicks become good, don't hop on the bandwagon now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what I say. more right about that, brother. Um, Anthony Donahue, host of the 33rd and 7th podcast. Uh, you can find that on iTunes. He's on Twitter and Instagram at Anthony Anthony MSG. Great work with the podcast. Uh, I think you brought it back uh, again. Uh, and I know, I know you do more as the season goes on. Yep. No, we just relaunched the other day. So Relaunch, it'll be back yeah. once, twice a week over the next you know, seven, eight, nine months. Right. And then I, th- I think you do it, what, once a week or t- uh, once every two yeah, weeks? Yeah, once, so- twice a week during the season. Yep. Okay. And I know you get current and former uh, players on there. So, you know, that, that that's a beautiful thing. So, again, Anthony MSG on Twitter, on Instagram, and 33rd and 7th Podcast on iTunes. And, my man, I, I greatly appreciate it, bro. No problem, Randy. Anytime. We'll do that 2001 after next if you want. <laughs> no doubt, man. Take it easy. All right, brother. Be good. All right.